it was a thing of waiting to see when Buffalo was going to have their day in the news. Holding her husband's hand, Fragrance Harris Danfield recounted the moments after someone started shooting inside the top supermarket on Saturday. The customer service lead works in the store with her 20-year-old daughter who became separated in the chaos. She crouched down. She sat hiding at register six the entire time. She didn't come out until the police came. She was in the store. The day before the shooting, Lewis actually talked with the shooter for over an hour. I gave my benefit card, my um, keys to have the, um, my um, bonus plus card. He went in and bought himself a, a, a Gatorade, gave me my things back. Everything was okay. We sat and talked, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do after this? Now, Peyton Gendron told Lewis he planned to go hiking after they were done talking. And before they stopped talking, he said, Are you going to be here tomorrow? I said, yeah, I'm going to be here at 5. He came at 2.30. But Lewis was at Tops on Saturday at 2.30 when Gendron arrived. Gunshots. Officials were quick to label the shooting as racially motivated because the suspect reportedly posted a 180-page rant detailing the planning of the killings and attributing it to white supremacy. Gendron hails from Conklin, New York, which is in Broome County, upstate. He had one previous encounter with police when he threatened to shoot up his own graduation at Susquehanna Valley High School. Records show he was taken in for mental evaluation last year, but not arrested. The attack live streamed online, centered on a theory that white people are being replaced. That's according to a 180-page document found online believed to be written by the alleged shooter months ago. So why was it not forwarded to police? When you talk to people on Jefferson Avenue, you get a range of reactions and a range of theories. But there's one common denominator. Everybody is angry. I feel the sin and shame that uh, the Buffalo police haven't done anything about this. Uh, most black men in the neighborhood I really fear walking around now. They don't know when they can come out day or night. But there's also a stark double standard in policing here, because when faced with the deadliest shooting of the year and a suspect who is literally still holding a gun used to allegedly kill 10 innocent people. Well, at that moment, police were at the highest possible legal threshold for firing a weapon, for using deadly force. And they didn't. By contrast, two months ago, Buffalo police used deadly force on Dominique Thomas, shooting him when he had a mental health episode and was reportedly seen with a knife. Last year, Buffalo police used deadly force to shoot at Willie Henley, a 60-year-old homeless man who was accused of swinging a bat at an officer. Neither of those people had a gun. Neither were accused of killing a person, let alone 10 people moments before. But... They were both black. Yo, man, they gotta stop this stuff, man. I'm serious. They come out here and they're gonna kill people up, right? They're doing all this. The police department ain't doing too much about it, I guess. Ain't caught nobody yet. If it was a black I mean, man, he would have been, yeah, been under the jail. That's all I can say. We've been under the jail. The state has suspended without pay a corrections officer suspected of crudely mocking the victims of Saturday's massacre at a Tops Markets in Buffalo in a despicable social media meme. The State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision said it was seeking to terminate the employee, who was not identified in a series of department tweets. However, screen grabs that circulated widely online indicated the meme was initially shared by someone named Greg Foster. State payroll records show Gregory C. Foster, too, is a corrections officer at the Attica Correctional Facility, 
earning $185,482 in 2020. The offensive meme shows a photo of a Topps Markets above the words, Clean up on aisle 3, no wait 4, also on 7, 9, and 13. Foster punctuated the meme with the comment, too soon? This should weed out some FB friends, followed by a laughing emoji. A white supremacist is accused of driving more than 200 miles from the southern tier to Buffalo to kill as many black people as possible in Buffalo. A Buffalo 911 dispatcher is off the job tonight for her handling of a call from someone inside the top store during that shooting. The Erie County Executive says the woman has been placed on administrative leave and he's aiming for her firing. County Executive Mark Polinkar says the call came from inside the tops, Jefferson Avenue, and the caller was whispering, so the shooter could not hear her. That caller says the dispatcher hung up on her, although polling cars could not confirm who hung up first. Still, the county executive says what happened on this call was inappropriate and unacceptable. A wooden cross was set afire tonight at the corner of Brunswick and Jefferson. We arrived as Buffalo firefighters were dousing the flames. Councilman Herb Bellamy said he was shocked by this latest incident. I really don't know what to say at this point. So close. Uh, this going to frighten the community more now, I think. I really don't know what to say. This is the first time I ever saw a cross burning in my life. This was cold. It was calculated. It was cruel. It was very intentional. This neighborhood was targeted because of the high black population. And that's what's so chilling. How cool can she be? She's from Buffalo. And what's wrong with Buffalo? <laughs> the cows. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Monday, June 6, 2022. So I have been told Gus T. Renegade, the black O.J. Simpson. This broadcast and really the science of counter-racism about the importance of words and how caution all the time about the use of metaphors and cliches and all of that. One of those bits of rhetoric that they use all the time, those who do not learn from history. Very important to keep in mind as we study what took place in Buffalo just a few weeks ago. Uh, the audio segment uh, that we heard, uh, it would take a bit of time to kind of dig through and parse out every bit of detail uh, that we heard. Sometimes it was black people, victims of white supremacy, talking about racism in Buffalo in the 1960s. Sometimes it was black people in Buffalo talking about uh, a cross being burned in the 1980s. Sometimes it was black people in Buffalo talking about the white supremacist attack. Ten black people killed just a few weeks ago. Catherine Massey, Buffalo Challenger, Challenger Community News, one of the victims. Buffalo Challenger, they have been super helpful. Uh, Challenger Community News, super helpful uh, getting some of their archives and what have you. Even amidst they are on Jefferson. We heard Jefferson Avenue mentioned 
a number of times over a number of years, decades really, uh, Jefferson Avenue, where the Topps grocery store, East Buffalo, where the white supremacist massacre took place just a few weeks ago, but lots of different pieces of information. Uh, try to keep that in mind uh, as we proceed with the dialogue. Uh, our guest for this evening's broadcast, uh, I feel like the massacre in Buffalo, uh, one of the more important events uh, of white supremacy racism, one that will probably be referenced uh, probably for the rest of our lives. People will be talking about this event. So I feel like students of counter racism, people that are about the business of producing justice, use this event to study, be informed about why this event happened, how it relates to white supremacy, racism, and even the history context of this region, West New York. To help us with that effort, our guest for this evening's broadcast, uh, a graduate of the University of Buffalo. Uh, she has degrees in sociology and urban public policy. She is a part-time research associate for the Partnership for the Public Good, PPG. <clears throat> she wrote a 2018 report titled A City Divided, A Brief History of Segregation in Buffalo. Uh, addresses many of the pieces of information that we heard in our audio leading into today's broadcast. Super excited to have her on the broadcast, review her report, which was, as I said, 2018. So that's four years before we got to everything that happened at East Tops just a few weeks back. Look at everything in context. Joining us live, happy to have her on the program, our guest, Miss Anna Blotto. Uh, let's see. Miss Blotto, do we have you online? Yes. Hello. Grand. Thank you so much for sharing a bit of your Monday evening with us uh, for our listening audience. Uh, might be their first time uh, hearing about you. Uh, if you'd like to give us a kind of brief introduction, who you are and the work that you do. Absolutely. Doug. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really grateful to be on here and be able to share some of this history and context. Like you were mentioning, it's so important to be able to understand the full scope of, of what's happening and what has happened in, in Buffalo. My name is Anna Blotto. I am a research associate at Partnership for the Public Good. I have been with PPG for just about five years now in a variety of capacities. Um, I wrote the report when I was a senior at the University at Buffalo and continue working with PPG throughout several of their initiatives. My most recent work is around water equity and justice. And I'm very happy to be here today to talk about these issues that have just re-come uh, re up to the, to the forefront here, um, even though they have existed this entire time, as you were mentioning. So thank you so much once again. Right on. Uh, for folks who uh, have not seen you, uh, you are classified as a white woman. Is that correct? Yes, sir. I am a white woman. And the biggest thing I like to speak about is that the perspective that I give is historical perspective, learned perspective, and perspective that I've heard through storytelling, and that I, it is not my lived experience. I've lived in Buffalo my entire life. I do not have the lived experience of a person of color, of a black person living in Buffalo, a black person in this country. So I can't understand fully that element. And I always like to be very upfront and honest about that. Right on, right on. Um, I get in that vein, 
Uh, one, one of the major ways that I have observed uh, that individuals classified as white practice white supremacy racism uh, is incorrect, frequently deliberately incorrect use of terms uh, and metaphors and just pussyfooting uh, about white supremacy racism. Uh, and particularly with this context, 10 black people, 13 people shot total, 10 black people dead, like man, being as accurate as possible and not pussyfooting, answering questions. Those are some of the common ways that I've concluded white people practice racism. Uh, I'd like to request, uh, Ms. Blotto, if you could be as accurate as possible and answering questions. Um, if you don't agree with something or what have you, that's great. Give us your view and, and explanation, but making sure that you are not just giving us lots of words and not answering the question and then making sure you're being as accurate as possible with your use of terms. Can I make that request? Absolutely. And please feel free to stop me at any point in time if you feel as though my commentary is inappropriate in this discussion. I'm, I'm absolutely open to that. Much obliged. Uh, and also just, well, let me start off. Number one, <clears throat> I use the term racism, the term white supremacy. I use them as synonyms and I use the same definition for both terms. Uh, the definition I use is as follows. A global system of people who classify themselves as white and are dedicated to abusing and or subjugating everyone in the known universe whom they classify as not white. Do you think such a system exists? Do you think that definition is accurate? Absolutely. Um, any kind of ism, and this is very deeply rooted, of course, in sociology, every kind of ism is a power structure. And when you hear folks talking about things like reverse racism, reverse sexism, those things, they just don't exist because in this society and, and by society, it, it really is a global thing because of historical influencers, historical powers, historical colonizers. Isms are men have an ism over, over women, which is sexism. Racism is similar in that white folks, white supremacy dictates what racism is and how racism informs our everyday actions and past policies that rolled into future practices. So yes, I, I do align with that, uh, that observation and, and that, that definition of both white supremacy and racism coinciding with each other. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, with agreement uh, on that definition, global system of white supremacy racism, do you think it's logical for any person classified as not white to be suspicious of any individual classified as white, even yourself, as long as the system of white supremacy exists? Do you think that's logical? So just so I understand your question, you're, you're asking whether you think it is logical for any non-white person 
to be suspicious of somebody who identifies as white. Correct. Yeah, I I would agree with that. As as a uh, a white person, it's it's hard to it's hard to consider yourself to be within that system. But every single white person, the sooner you realize that you're part of the system, the sooner you can become helpful and more engaged in a discussion, actually listening versus pretending like it doesn't exist or pretending like you're not playing a role in it. It would be absolutely no offense to me if somebody felt that way, felt a level of suspicion or distrust toward me as a white person because they have no idea who I am as a person from the outside in. I, I have a privilege as a white person that is inherent in the fact that I am white and I, I cannot erase that part of me. And so I have to be able to accept that and, and use that to work toward justice as best I can and constantly learn on a day-to-day basis how I can be a better ally and advocate. I was talking to somebody, a friend of mine, um, a black man, and he made a comment. He, and, and it struck me very, very strongly. He said that he may not feel differently about the people that he's met so far, but this incident will make him feel differently about and more suspicious about future interactions with people because this individual that committed this atrocity may have interacted with people of color and perhaps they had no suspicion whatsoever. And then he goes and commits this atrocity. So it's understandable, I would say to, to, to jump to that, that potential conclusion, that level of suspicion, because once again, it's hard, it's hard to tell who's what in, in the system, uh, in a system that, that not, it, it either explicitly in some aspects, but more subtly implicitly encourages this level of privilege, white supremacy, et cetera. Right on. Two quick points that I, I want to make. Uh, let's see. I'll go in order of importance. Uh, number one, uh, especially since she said it repeatedly in her response, only one of us has used the word white privilege. That right there is an example of what I was referencing earlier, the pussyfooting. I've been saying white supremacy, racism, white supremacy, racism, white privilege is one of the ways individuals classified as white deliberately practice white supremacy, racism. We are talking about a power dynamic and it also makes this in fact I want as we proceed with this conversation I want you to think now at any point is privilege a more accurate term than white supremacy racism as we proceed with the dialogue or you can even just keep that 10 victims in mind domestic terrorism is that white privilege or is that white terrorism that's every time white privilege deliberate willful act of racism pussyfooting the second point uh, Grady Lewis I said it would take a long time to explain all of the audio clips that we heard at the beginning one of them was Grady Lewis black male that they interviewed after the shooting he said he had a two hour con- oh 
Grady Lewis is painful. Grady Lewis was the victim who had on a t-shirt that said Black King who was standing outside who was interviewed who said he had a two hour conversation with the suspected terrorist suspected killer asked him if he was going to be there the next day he gave him his keys no even after he said he was behaving a little weird but we still talked for two hours the question I asked back then because the shirt he had on it said black king I said so is that how black royalty behaves hmm victim of white supremacy Mr. Lewis anywho uh, so that was my two quick points uh, related to what you shared in your response Ms. Blotto uh, with regards to white people becoming helpful you as someone who has studied this for some years now and you write about racism white supremacy uh, you know white people and what have you uh, have you seen any evidence that would lead you to conclude that a substantial number of individuals classified as white they are going to voluntarily become helpful meaning they are going to voluntarily and permanently desist from the practice of white supremacy racism have you seen any evidence that a substantial number of people classified as white are going to do this substantial in this area i would say substantial is is a bit of a stretch there are a really large number of allies and advocates that do diligent work and because i am in the nonprofit space i do see that more heavily than i would perhaps if i if i wasn't that being said if i wasn't in the nonprofit space a lot of folks white folks are are complacent in in this topic of white supremacy or in in the structure of white supremacy meaning that what happens a lot of times after these tragedies as you very well know is folks will get passionate and they'll share information and then two weeks go down the road and something else comes up and it's forgotten very quickly so it does take a level of commitment to say that not only are you going to do the work, but you're going to follow up with your everyday actions and that you're going to be able to take feedback and learn constructively from that. So yes, there are people who are doing the work in this community. Is it a substantial number of white folks in this community? I would have to say no. much obliged for the answer and I ask our white guests that because I think that is super important uh, in terms of how we think about this problem white supremacy racism and in fact I would even ask our listeners whew, so many things to put a pen so we got one pen white privilege keep in mind so at any point in our dialogue this evening do we think white privilege would be a more accurate way to articulate what we're trying to express second she said that after these events people have a lot of passion and what have you I want particularly you can either think about what you heard in the audio segment or just pin that one keep in mind as we move forward oh I'm so excited Really, reading is more important 
than watching television like it's not even close uh miss blotto uh, are you familiar with joseph g christopher uh i am aware of the um author i am not entirely familiar so f- feel free to fill me in mm, okay uh, but one, this has been consistent for listeners. I've been asking uh, since hmm, since all this happened, May 14th, I've been asking for three weeks now. Uh, I will go to the news and this is another one. Now, you know, as much as I would like to believe that Gus T. Renegade history degree, I do have a history degree, is amazing and brilliant. No, I don't think that. Uh, I think this is another one where white journalists in particular are deliberately practicing racism because I've said the whole time we would have a very different perspective on all of this if May 14 everyone was well informed about Joseph G. Christopher I'm going to rewind do, 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 pull up the newspaper reports and Gus T. Lame Gus T. with no budget no staff now I have 170 articles pertaining to Joseph Christopher just doing lame lacks research about this over the last two weeks so like the new york times who covered this joseph mr christopher well they couldn't have done a big write-up buffalo news they couldn't have done a big write-up current who is joseph g christopher in case some of our listeners don't know so this is from the atlanta constitution 1983 black journalist chet fuller his report oh my god now i want you to remember this anna blotto she said she didn't know everyone we've asked on the program said the same thing Who is Joseph Christopher? I don't know who that is. Buffalo is now a city of fear. The date again is 1983. What did Fuller say? He said, I have not been to Buffalo, New York in two years, but still it scares me. It is a black, a bleak city, excuse me, an aging one with rutted streets and once grand buildings gone to seed physical declines which parallel its crippling breakdown in race relations and the almost total erosion of trust and cooperation between its black community and its predominantly white police force when I was there nearly everyone nearly everywhere I went I picked up on a foreboding sense of decay and despair unemployment was high particularly among blacks who make up more than 25% of the city's population and are mainly confined to the old central section of the city, the site of Buffalo's worst slums. It was a particularly gloomy time, the spring of 1981, in the midst of widespread panic generated by a puzzling series of slayings of black men who dominate women because the seven victims were shot with a small caliber pistol the media dubbed the mysterious assailant the 22 caliber killer and a kind of gruesome lore sprang up around this mystery man exacerbating the tensions between the black and white communities hate literature was distributed throughout the city in the form of licenses to hunt coons and back to Africa tickets on the coon ard ship line 
black police officers reported seeing composite drawings of the murder suspect on bulletin boards in some of the city's precinct offices, plural, with my hero and man of the year written under them. This was in 1981. A suspect has since been arrested, Joseph G. Christopher. He has been judged not fit to stand trial, but the killings have stopped. Still, word from friends in the city and news reports since then indicate things have gotten worse. Buffalo has become the dark side of the American dream. Now, Chet Fuller has quite a bit more to say, but I will stop there. So this and this is kind of the least grisly version that you can give at this point of Joseph G. Christopher, who killed who knows how many black males, mostly and dark skinned non-white males, killing two black males and carving their hearts out. Ernest Jones, Parlor Edwards. Now, this happened in 1980. He wasn't uh, arrested until 1981. No one, to my knowledge, I take it back. The Community Challenger News, that's one. They did do a major article saying, man, we've seen all this before in Buffalo. And in fact, make sure I give all the detail. Joseph G. Christopher, the first person that he killed, because we're reading this in the book club, Absolute Madness, Catherine Pelinero, white woman, her book Absolute Madness, all about Joseph G. Christopher and what happened in Buffalo. So this is almost page one of the book, and then we'll get Anna Blato's response. So she writes, Catherine Pelinero, by the time the sirens shrieked and the news vans arrived, Barbara Wozniak had all but forgotten about the firecrackers, what she thought was firecrackers, and she didn't make a connection between the figure in the hoodie and the sudden commotion in the east side tops parking lot despite what Barbara Wozniak would eventually tell them about the loudness of the gunshots police were not finding anyone at the scene who had heard them at all the entrance to the tops grocery store was less than 50 feet from where the Buick Century sedan was parked Lieutenant William Mitzdahl and Patrolman Warren Lewis pulled into the parking lot in car L-12E at 9.50 p.m. no more than two or three minutes after hearing the call from dispatch. Lieutenant Mitzdahl and Officer Lewis were assigned to Precinct 12. The shooting had occurred within the boundaries of the neighboring 16th Precinct, but Mitzdahl and Lewis had responded because both of the serious nature of the call and the location in particular. This tops market regularly employed off-duty police officers as security guards. Mitzdahl's first thought was that this must be an officer-involved shooting. Either a police officer had shot someone or been shot himself. Alvin Patstelka was waiting in the parking lot and waved the blue and white police cruiser over to where the Buick Century was parked by the fence that divided them from the residential Floss Avenue. Pastolka was a police officer out of precinct in South Buffalo, 
but worked security at this tops on the east side of the city as a second front job. As Pastolka explained to Lieutenant Mitstall, he had not been involved in the shooting, nor had he witnessed it. A young man had run into the store and told him that someone had been shot. Joseph G. Christopher started his rampage of killing mostly black males at an East Buffalo Tops grocery store. Glenn Dunn, 14 years old, victim one in all. That's why I've said consistently, this isn't an error. This isn't reckless journalism to not mention this at all so that people don't have a historical like I've said consistently I think everybody would think differently about this if the headlines had been white supremacist gunman comes to hunt blacks at East Buffalo grocery store again does any of this ring a bell if this is the first time you're hearing about Joseph G. Christopher what do you would we be thinking about this differently if all this had been presented on May 14th which they could have easily done I would say yes I so I have heard of him only in a brief sentence in a Buffalo News article that came out early last week and my intention really was to dive a little bit deeper on it, but um, I, I hadn't had the chance yet. And I really appreciate you filling me in because I think it's a testament to the level of digging things that might have been common knowledge in certain communities in the black community, just being kept out of that mainstream media. And absolutely it would have been really powerful even more so, of course, than the the existing headlines to draw that parallel to something that happened almost 40 years ago. And when you look at the conversation about whether things have improved or whether things are safer or whether how, how racism has evolved and changed or how it stayed the same that parallel would tell a more complete story. So yes, I, I agree with that. Mm. Uh, I just, again, want to point out, this is not recklessness. This is one that I've been pointing out consistent. I have no staff, no budget, and I'm on the other side of the continent. If I were in New York, it would have been even easier and I would have even more material. And I have approximately 200 articles about this. And I want to make a point. It's not that the black people are informed about this. That is not true. Uh, the Buffalo Challenger did cover this at the time. And their current, uh, the Challenger Community News, they did do a report. But I have not talked to really any black people who are aware of this. And I've even talked to black people. They lived in New York. Didn't remember this at all. Some of them lived in New York City and Joseph Christopher killed black people in Buffalo, Niagara, uh, New York City. He was the 22 caliber killer and the Manhattan slasher. Uh, and there were people in New York City 
no idea. They didn't know anything about this, uh, who were alive at the time, all of it. So I have pointed that out. This has been a total act of white supremacy and not making sure everyone is aware so that we can all connect the dots and then think very now how much progress has been made even as we continue with the discussion because I think there are a whole lot of reasons that they would not want to bring up this case and then in fact every white person in Buffalo unless you're telling me everybody there is a moron everybody there like died they don't have anybody there who was alive in 1980 that's still alive we interviewed Matt Greider he wrote for the Buffalo News for 50 years covered this case live and wrote a book about it the Buffalo News could have just linked to his archival content easily that's why I've said forcefully because there is no logical explanation why wouldn't they link this this is what is done in journalism when they had the flood in New Orleans in 2005 they had many many reports they gave the history of floods in the Gulf region and Louisiana specifically that is journalism that's not what happened here that is white supremacy racism and just again for the record this is not one that black people knew about no I have not talked to really any black people who were aware of this or had any any detailed information to be saying hey didn't this happen before when hunting those were the words people used he had on hunting attire that was used by witnesses to describe Peyton Gendron and Joseph Christopher hunting black people in East Buffalo starting at a Topps grocery store that is context of white supremacy book club reading again more important than watching television your report uh, see, I even looked at because I've said that like really anybody if they're talking about racism in Buffalo and there is no dialogue on Joseph Christopher I really question that how serious are they about you know all of this subject matter unless they're saying that I'm just not well informed which I also if they're classified as white the report a city divided a brief history of segregation in Buffalo this was published in 2018 now you were an undergraduate uh, at the University of Buffalo I think you told us you were a senior is my memory accurate there yes that is that is correct okay uh, what pro- or were you attempting to solve a problem with this report and if so what problem were you trying to solve it, it, the writing of the report was less about trying to solve a. I guess the problem that would be trying to be solved by this is the lack of awareness around this issue and the lack of context of this in one place in a relatively succinct form. Because in reality, this issue and all of the layers can be. You can dive into each topic and you can write thousands of pages of of, uh, historical perspective, including, like you said, archives and that sort of thing. So the the only problem I I really had intended to address was the creation of a relatively succinct document to outline the issue that could be used as a starting point for folks who were 
interested in learning and diving more into it. Uh, the the paper itself is certainly not meant to be uh, to present re- you know, a resolution or a comprehensive resolution to the issue of segregation in in this community, but to simply summarize the history. When when you say this is supposed to be a succinct report uh, for people who are not aware, do you think it is white people? or non-white people who are not aware of this information? I think it's mostly non-white folks. I think, oh, I'm sorry, I I apologize, let me take it back. I think it's mostly white folks, sorry. Uh, Mostly white folks who who may not be aware of the level of segregation that still exists. Um, In the way that Buffalo is structured, because of the level of segregation, you've got a much higher concentration of black folks within the city versus uh, in Erie County, which is the county that includes Buffalo. And then, of course, the further away from the city that you get, the lower and lower, with the exception of of Niagara Falls, which is a city in in Niagara County, um, you've got very low concentrations of black folks and people of color. So when folks see that, they think, wow, I had no idea that all of these things are still at play in, in these communities. And it's hopefully a click for a perception that exists about segregated communities, that segregated communities, the, the level of disinvestment that happened over decades, the, uh, the way that the infrastructure physically appears, n- not none of that really has to do with the people who live there so much as it has to do with the way that the people who live there were victimized and are victims of the system of white supremacy that created the conditions that we see today. So, yeah, I think it is mostly white folks that are, uh, are have to have to educate themselves around statistics and information. I think that when a, a person of color reads through this, it's very quick and easy from, from my experience, people who have shared this with me, from my experience, they've aligned very quickly with, with, with the information and said, oh, this, this makes complete sense to me. Maybe they're not aware of the specific statistics because most folks don't walk around being able to cite statistics immediately. But the statistics make the lived experience more real to other people who don't have that lived experience. So seeing those statistics or having the statistics presented as validation to an extent that, yeah, this is a problem that you see every single day that a person of color, a black person might see every single day. And not only that, but it's very vivid and it's very direct and it's very real in numbers and statistics and in history. Were you uh, born and or like raised in the Buffalo area? I was. Okay. Okay. Uh, And this report that we're discussing, A City Divided, A Brief History of Segregation in Buffalo. Did you have like a budget or was this just an undergraduate project that you put together? It was just an undergraduate project. The project was, but uh, so the the context of, of how I got involved in this is, 
Uh, I was connected with Sam McGavern with Partnership for the Public Good through uh, an advisor that I had at the University of Buffalo because of my interests uh, and the work that they do aligning with that. I was very interested in research and policy, but I wasn't really sure who in Buffalo was working on similar topics. And so I was introduced to him and he spoke with me, met with me and, and kind of presented this project as something that he had been thinking about doing for a little while. And it was inspired by an interview that was conducted with Carl Nightingale, who is a professor at University of Buffalo, a history professor. And the interview contained a lot of information and, and served as, for me, a starting point to dive into the research. And I will say, having lived in Buffalo my entire life, before I, I was aware of the issues and how they exist in the city, but I don't think I was fully aware of the extent until I was able to sit down and go through documents and data and talk to individuals myself as, as I was putting this report together. So it took the better part of eight months to, to get everything connected. We, we did community reads. So we presented the report to various community groups, folks that have been long standing within the community and kind of released it after we were able to get that community feedback. Hmm. Do you think uh, a brief history of segregation in Buffalo, do you think that is more accurate than a brief history of white supremacy in Buffalo? I think in this case, yes, for the context of this article, because the, uh, the report itself doesn't touch on a lot of the acts of racism that were committed within the city. It doesn't touch on the KKK's presence in the city. It doesn't touch on racist remarks by politicians. So the report itself looks at federal policies that allowed and enabled segregation, and it didn't dive into segregation is, is a component of, of white supremacy in my in my opinion, and the report is not a, as comprehensive as the entire issue of white supremacy and racism in this area. So I, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't define it as that. I would define it as an element of that, but I, I because it doesn't include those other elements. For example, the Joseph G. Christopher. If, if I would like to think that if I had researched uh, based on the context of, of white supremacy, I would like to think that I would have discovered that. And who's to say, you know, whether or not that's the case. But if it was more comprehensive, you know, I, I would hope to touch on those additional elements aside from this one, one niche area. When you use the term segregation, what do you mean? Segregation, the way that I see it, is intentional movement and restriction of folks, black folks, other folks of color, to certain areas. And the policies that not only made it impossible for folks to live anywhere else, but 
than the outcomes of living in segregated communities and the effects on income levels, the effects on educational attainment, the effects on health, the criminal justice angle and implications. All of that ties into the bigger issue at play, the issue of white supremacy, but segregation itself is a, a an area within white supremacy that white folks use as a way to other black folks and make black folks feel less than within within uh, the the urban environment and in in general in, in the in the country. Okay. This is really more for uh, non-white listeners, um, victims of white supremacy who are listening. Uh, I've said for years, you know, words. I said it today. I said every program. Words. Mr. Fuller says the number one tool of racist woman, racist man, racist child is using words. Frequently incorrect use of words. I mentioned that specifically. Now, what she just mentioned when I asked her, now, what do you mean? when you use the term segregation uh, restricting people of color black people restricting where they can live warehousing them in dilapidated areas pollution and toxins poisons all the rest of it or denying them access to living in better areas uh, and what have you all of that individuals classified as white are the ones that's what I said before about privilege that's not what we're talking about it's individuals classified as white who have power to you negras will live here not here and maybe we come and switch it around every 10 years or whatever it is but it's individuals classified as white now I say to listeners that is white supremacy racism how in the world is that anything other than we can say this is one component of white supremacy racism specifically with regards to housing but Put that in the brain computer. Same thing where I said deliberately leaving out Joseph Christopher, deliberately not calling things by their proper name and finding some way white privilege, bias, prejudice, uh, segregation. And it's two pronged because what you just described, in my view, just using logic, it is absolutely white supremacy, but it's other and it's both ways in the title because it's a city divided these terms frequently give non-white people the impression that the problem is white people and non-white people not being in close proximity that ends up being discussed a lot and so the only pro- only thing that we need to do if segregation is the problem the remedy is desegregation no that is not the problem is white supremacy that's how we end up even when we are so-called together close proximity hey not just going to the same school not just living on the same block we could be in the same bedroom and white supremacy as a power dynamic is still the dominant problem that's why I say it's very important. Am I am I being logical, uh, Miss Blotto, or am I? If I'm and again, if I'm talking sense, don't you know? Feel like you gotta go along. Let me know. 
Gus, you're talking crazy, or at minimum, you're not being logical, and this is what doesn't make sense to me. Am I being logical? No, I, th- I think you're being logical, of course. Uh, I I would say the, the reason that I kind of emphasize that is because I don't want to minimize the overall topic of, of white supremacy, the overall power dynamic of white supremacy into just this one silo it into this one area. So I, I would agree with your with your comments. Yes, it is. It is about white supremacy in that white supremacy fueled the segregation that we see today and fuels the ongoing segregation. Hmm. Uh, I think they can use much better terms against white supremacy in housing warehousing black people in areas without resources is way better again because if we're going to say segregation it's in the language the racist logic that is actually illogic oh segregation is the problem we need to desegregate no that does not that does not solve white supremacy racism let's dig into some of the data and even keep this in mind as we're going through the report because this is kind of apparent in the data if you understand logic uh, moving through the report uh, this is on page 12 I get to do uh, double duty on this one so page 12, page 12 of uh, Miss Blatto's report make sure I even get my second I get to read two uh, reports on this one so alrighty going into some of the history of white supremacy racism white terrorism in Buffalo you write the city's black population rose from 3.1% to 38.6% as the white population declined from 96.8% to 50.4% from 1940 to 1970 alone the black population in the city grew by 433% jobs were increasingly difficult to obtain as a black city resident. While Buffalo was known for its manufacturing jobs, the black population tended to be underrepresented in manufacturing and overrepresented in lower wage service jobs. In a 1967 case, U.S. vs. Bethlehem Steel, the U.S. government pursued racial discrimination charges against one of the region's largest employers. At the time, Bethlehem Steel hired very few black applicants and admitted to placing those they did hire into the least desirable jobs. In 1966, only 2.5% of those hired were African American. By the early 1970s, the black workforce rose to about 14%, primarily due to to the lawsuit I will stop there now I am hopping over that's what Joseph there are many many reasons why white people have deliberately not talked about Joseph G Christopher Newsday October 21 1980 Betty Logan wrote two animal hearts left by Buffalo jokers and she has jokers in quotes what did she write she wrote two animal hearts have been placed in public buildings here in what are believed to be pranks associated with the recent killings of blacks if you got a memory you'll remember Greg Foster the second 
he was the one who had the emojis and memes about the black people being killed at tops a few weeks ago clean up on aisle 9 11 12 13 too soon too soon that was greg foster just a couple weeks ago continuing she writes one animal heart it was learned yesterday was found wednesday on a back shelf in the buffalo erie county library i know where erie county is because of this case one day earlier another animal heart had been discovered in the bethlehem steel plant in lackawanna hanging from the ceiling of a locker of a locker room with a note attached saying I'm going to wait for it give dramatic in fact while I'm waiting for it now is this white privilege this is another one now a white people ignorant about racism let me restart the sentence one day earlier another animal heart had been discovered in the Bethlehem steel plant in Lackawanna hanging from the ceiling of a locker room with a note attached saying give from the heart to the KKK no note was attached to the heart found in the library because of the murders of two black taxicab drivers whose hearts were cut out local authorities and the FBI were summoned to investigate the incidents they give more detail but I will stop there so black people have had a tough time at Bethlehem Steel for many decades is that correct Miss Blotto oh yes uh, yeah based on my understanding absolutely and it it was this level of targeting where black folks were often kept out of out of manufacturing jobs which were at the time higher paying jobs uh due to directly due to racism and, and white supremacy as, as they existed within this this conversation and the information that you presented is really just jarring as a as a physical and visual representation of of how that played out in that space so it even though the the case the 1967 case made it so that Bethlehem Steel was almost forced to integrate to a certain level hire more black folks it's it's just an intense level of the feeling of the folks that work there the feeling of the folks that operated that that plant that dictated how they were treated and the level of access black folks had, had to, to that space and, and really across manufacturing jobs in, in the region. Heard this repeated many times in terms of patterns uh, in many, many regions uh, in terms of manufacturing, especially during uh, the so-called great migration, black people coming north, uh, places Pennsylvania, New York, Illinois, Wisconsin, California, name the spot, and then uh, Michigan, forgot that one, and encountering lots of white supremacy, specifically with the mocking, because that's way forward, uh, at least from your report, you're talking about things that are happening in the 1950s and 1970s. Uh, this live, or excuse me, heart being placed 
at the Bethlehem Steel Factory is in the 1980s. Uh, and that it, patterns, I encourage victims to look at that consistently mocking the death, not of one black people, one black person. Uh, at the time that this heart incident had happened, there were seven black people who had been killed, 10 black people killed in tops just a few weeks back. And we got Gregory Foster II, who is a correctional officer, publicly mocking the death of these black people. And this sort of thing has happened over and over. They have video of white people in New York City mocking the death of Eric Garner, standing behind a reporter and, and kind of mocking uh, a cho- In fact, they had a whole meme sensation where young uh, white children, they called it the George Floyd Challenge, where they would put their knee uh, on someone's neck uh, and mock the killing of George Floyd. What what does that say uh, about, I, I would say, an element of white supremacy culture, dare I say, white culture, not just racism, but mocking the death of black people? I mean, it's absolutely disgusting. Uh, when when we one of the news clips that you played at, at the very beginning of of the of the show right right before you introduced me reviewed the correctional officer the former hopefully former correctional officer at Attica Correctional Facility who decided to make his own meme mocking the situation and I think that we just need to take a really big look. Folks in this region need to take a very big look at who we are as a region and what de- what defines us as a region. Because immediately the same day that this action took place, I'm already on social media seeing folks saying, remember, he's not from Buffalo. Remember, he came from out of town to do this and just neglecting the entire history of white supremacy that exists right in our own backyard. So to see that a couple days later surface on social media uh, and, and get shared uh, just, just out, of, out of disgust and awareness, it, it not only shows the, the level of comfort that folks have, that white folks have, sharing their outwardly explicitly racist views about a, literally a massacre that was a targeted massacre against black, black people, but also how embedded those feelings are within our institutions. And that the general, the, the, the person, the, the man who was doing this, being a correctional officer, working for the state of New York criminal justice system, the way that it ties in to the overall white supremacy, the criminal justice system targeting people of color more intensely than white folks for committing the same crimes, et cetera. It, it shows that you, 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 you feel like you're invincible as a, as a white person in, in, in general, but specifically in a, in a role of uh, where, where they have power over other people in a literal sense feels willing to make those comments. Absolutely. It's, it's, 
it's disgraceful. It more than disgraceful. If I pull back again, so I look at, wow, they got a heart at the library in Erie County, at the Bethlehem Steel Factory. Hmm. Correctional officer. Hmm. And then if I pull back, oh, wait a minute, didn't they have lynching postcards and what have you, which also was mocking the death of black people beyond disgraceful. This seems to be, or maybe it's it's part in what you were saying about feeling as though you are invincible to share this. It seems like this is a part of white culture. I, as someone classified as white, this is what we have done. Mock the death of black people, sometimes whole groups of people for ever. Does the evidence support that, Ms. Blotto? I think yes, because over history, it the the folks that were targeting black folks, you know, throughout American history, uh, you know, have have been have been white, and the way that whiteness has evolved in American history has encouraged, I would say, uh, folks that may not have been originally considered white to become white by, quote unquote, become white, I should say, by aligning with these really extreme, very deliberately racist views that had existed in the country directly because because of of slavery and the, and that legacy. So that being said, yes, it is ultimately at the root of white culture is is the is the feeling that you can share these feelings, these opinions, whether it's outward in public or whether it's behind closed doors, which these days I feel is where most of those types of conversations are more likely to happen, not that they don't happen anywhere else. So, so yes, it is. I mean, it's an element, I would say, of, of, of white culture that transcends from, from the, you know, the legacy, the, the, the era of slavery and then the legacy of slavery. Context of white supremacy. Uh, our guest, uh, Miss Anna Blotto, uh, if we have folks who have questions you'd like to ask, the number to dial 720-716-7300. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, man, one, the dismissal. Miss Blatto mentioned where she said that, you know, some of the folks in Buffalo were saying, hey, hey, wait a minute now. Uh, Peyton Gendron is not from Buffalo. He does not represent us. He came, you know, 200 miles to do this horrendous act and all that. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's not go besmirching uh, our good name. Uh, and, hey, let's examine the history of white supremacy in Buffalo, which we have done are doing Joseph G. Christopher. Let's start right there. However, he did come from Conklin. I said, man, we should devote some time to like, hey, what's going on in Conklin? They did have a report. The L.A. Times did the Buffalo mass shooting suspects 90 percent white hometown fuel his hate. 
This was from a few weeks ago. I was sad that I missed it, but, you know, hey, never too late. I'm just reading a, little, a quick portion. Uh, so they talked to one neighbor. She didn't want to give her full name. She said, Debbie has lived across the Susquehanna from Conklin in Kirkwood, an 89.4% white town of about 5,480 people as of the 2020 census for most of her life as the 65-year-old sat on the park bench overlooking the river on Tuesday she laid out a warped version of reality that echoes the replacement theory that was included in a document Gendron allegedly posted online before the Buffalo Massacre we are minorities today we're down here and there up there in the world she said referring to white and black people respectively blacks can get what they want and they can get a job because they use their race I think that's probably driving how white people feel today Debbie who declined to give her last name said she believes that sentiment was likely a key driver of Gendron's descent into extremism. Now again, I point to Joseph G. Christopher and all elements, the hearts at the library and everything. I don't know if extremism is an accurate word, if this is a regular occurring aspect of white culture, white supremacy culture. But I'll stop there with the report. What do you uh, make of what the L.A. Times has to say about this hearing from a white Debbie in this would be, I think, what they call a sundown town, working on a more accurate term, uh, but a place, like I said before, white supremacy racism. We can call this segregation, but I mean, really, where we deliberately do not allow black people to reside what do you think about this uh, this place where he lived having 89.5 89.4% white what do you think about that I think in New York it's a lot more common than just Conklin it's almost everywhere uh, outside of cities outside of uh, even I mean minor cities major cities outside of that in smaller towns they're absolutely predominantly white and predominantly is 85% plus and when you look at view divides in in new york but you know even around the country of course it's it's that difference of the views of the folks who live in those very highly white even smaller towns or in more rural isolated areas have very 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 strong views that more closely align with white supremacy ideologies in many cases. And when Debbie from the article spoke about this feeling from white folks that black people are able to get jobs because of their race, because of affirmative action, et cetera, that is a very, very real sentiment that a lot of white folks have that is ultimately aligned with white supremacy, but people would never, most, most white folks would never ever say, yes, I, that, that's white supremacy and I feel this way because they feel as though because things are equal under the law, supposedly nowadays, that there is no reason to have affirmative action and there is no reason 
to try to account for diversity and try to attempt in certain ways to right generational wrongs, that's a, that's a extremely common sentiment. And so, yes, to, to, to that point, you know, rural, rural towns in New York or more isolated towns in New York, or even Conklin is not very far from Binghamton, which is a slightly larger city and has a slightly larger black population. But as soon as you get out of the city, even, even in Buffalo, as soon as you get out of the city, I could drive 20 minutes away from where I am right now. I'm in the city of Buffalo. I could drive 20 minutes away and be in a majority, but and by, again, by majority, more than 85% white community. Uh, and, and then of course you look at certain pockets within Buffalo, you could be within a, a certain neighborhood that is 85 plus percent white in a city where 33% of its residents, I'm sorry, 37% of its residents identify it as black. So it, the, the points that were made in the article are, are paint a, a good picture of, of how rural New York and urban New York clash with one another when it comes to demographics. Hmm. Uh, before I, I get to uh, the demographic point, because I think that's so important, uh, and I have a question about that, but before I do, uh, words are important, uh, and that L.A. Times report did not mention affirmative action. And I've said for years, it is so mandatory anytime someone mentions affirmative action, the people who have benefited most, our guest, Hillary Clinton, Governor Kathy Hochul, who we heard in the sound clip, white women and it's not even close they should be if they want to use the metaphor the poster child for affirmative action not black people and it has worked you see white with governor kathy hochel it has worked hillary clinton secretary of state it has worked it has not been for black people we are not the ones that people should think of at all that's another one along with the use of the word white privilege any time someone mentions anyone anytime someone classified as white mentions affirmative action because it wasn't even in the report and they start talking about black people that deliberate conscious willful act of white supremacy it was in time magazine when they had all that hubbub on that white woman texas austin 2013 and oh man affirmative action kept me out whoa 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 and they said it's you you are the one who have benefited most you you take it both ways you the white woman bringing the suit or you our guest anna blotto white women have benefited most i mean really like there's no all i can conclude that is an act of white supremacy late racism to just lie and it's got to be black people in the front no any discussion of affirmative action if we're not talking about white women and eh, move forward now unless if do you have any data that's incorrect that white women have not been the primary beneficiaries and i mean by far it's not close do you have any data that that counters that i don't 
deliberate act of white supremacy every time every time right there with white privilege are you familiar with James Lowen the late James Lowen son downtown uh, no please uh, fill me in he wrote uh, many books he passed away last year uh, he's in his 70s I believe uh, but he wrote many books they frequently mention lies it should be lies my white teachers told me because they don't even allow a lot of black people to become educators uh, but it's lies my teachers told me he did write that book which is a lot about racism but he also wrote sundown towns which is the whole history of places like conklin being white only towns and talking about them having cute like billboards up that said read nigger and run and if you can't read run and he talks about how places like conklin how you had most of the sundown towns were in the north not in the south and how black people went when we talk uh, great migration I want to come north and work at Bethlehem Steel hopefully I don't find a heart in my locker or they don't you know all the rest uh, and when they do all this white people we're not just going to let you move anywhere you can only move to very specific places in Michigan or New York or Illinois or you know Wisconsin wherever else uh, they go you're going to be where that's why I said now with all of this, he goes into great detail about all of this and the terrorism, um, killing black people and all that. So, again, so do we think segregation is a more accurate term to describe how towns like Conklin end up being 89% white? Places like East Buffalo end up with this high concentration of black people. Do we think that segregation is the most accurate term to describe that? Or would that be white supremacy racism? Ms. Blatto? That's a, that's a tough question for, for me to answer personally. Um, I, I would say that white supremacy racism is what is, is, the, is, is the root of, of all of this. And the reality of the sundown towns, I'm, I'm familiar with, with, the, with the idea and the concept of, of sundown towns, and there are some, there are Sundown Towns, actually, in, in Buffalo, this area, North Tonawanda, if you, you might have read about this, was considered to be a sundown town. And actually, the, the sign, the, the signage for North Tonawanda as a sundown town, I believe, was up until, until something like 2020, either 2018 or 2020. And so that's, that's in the last five, you know, four years at, at a maximum. So you've got this historical sense that n not only are, are policies working against people, but the policies that are related to segregation and related to restriction of movement within certain communities and related to the inability for black folks to move into communities of color that may not have explicit or not communities of color, uh, neighborhoods that may not have explicitly said, we don't want black folks here. But then that was coupled in, in my opinion with communities that explicitly said we absolutely do not want black folks living here that labeled themselves as such and it create it creates a, a, a very dangerous environment where white folks felt and feel that they have authority over black folks and that results in absolutely dangerous consequences uh, to, to this day 
whether again, whether they're explicit or whether they're implicit. We had agreement uh, about my definition, global system of white supremacy, racism. Uh, If that exists, doesn't that mean that white people have authority over all of the people who are not white? In the in the power structure and the way that it is situated, yes, I would say so. It's a and 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 this is just a personal thing, and I I you know, and again, my my opinion, I, I it's it's hard to narrow it down, I guess, to an individual person to person. Individuals are participants in a system, and they. And, and white people benefit from the system. And because they benefit from the system, there is a level of authority that you contribute to. I think that I would be not, I would not be 100% comfortable with saying that each individual white person has authority, but I think the system creates this this hierarchy where white folks do ultimately have an an idea of authority, an idea of control over black folks. And, And once again, I mean, I, this is the perspective of a white person. I have to, I want to be respectful of the conversation. I want to be respectful of, my my participation in in white supremacy while I have this conversation with you, and that is that every day is a learning experience when it comes to these these conversations so i I don't know if that answers your question i I hope that it does to an extent hmm. there's a lot of words I was. I was for listeners that's so fascinating because for years I've pointed out that's another one uh many trends uh patterns in terms of ways that white people they are not accurate all of this in my view is deliberate willful obfuscating pussyfooting not being accurate in talking about white supremacy racism which keeps non-white people confused we didn't know about Joseph G Christopher either meaning non-white people uh but she said she benefits white people benefit and even the whole you know uh, each individual white person uh, has power over non-white people because I didn't say any of that I just said don't white people in a general sense have authority over non-white people that was you know the just kind of the definition that we started with I didn't say anything about each individual how does this play out but I mean hey we can look at the power dynamics and how does that play out on an individual level as we move throughout the world and does that hold does each individual white person do they move through the world where they do indeed have authority over non-white people I'll leave that one rhetorically for listeners to think about but she got to the end she said she benefits all kinds of white people will say that they benefit. Dr. Peggy McIntosh has been a guest on our program and benefit privilege, benefit privilege, benefit, blah, 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 blah. Uh, nobody says 
I practice, I participate in the system of white supremacy racism. No one says that. She said she participates, but it was linked to learning, which is another, you know, I didn't get to that question. Let me just keep that in mind. Um, I can, in fact, I'll just go to the report because I did not know North Tonawanda sent downtown, not taken down until recently. This is I'm reading from uh, WKBW. Uh, it's a sign that's caused some to look back in a time North Tonawanda and many didn't feel that a sign reading sundowners, a nor- a neighborhood crime watch community was appropriate to have up in 2020. Mayor Arthur Papa says some members of the community brought attention to it in recent months. Sundown town historically meant black people were not allowed to live there and sundown towns popped up across the United States between 1890 and 1940. Historians say it means a black person needed to be gone before the sun went down in many cases between 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. Now that's another one that I have to look now. I'm supposed to believe that the white people who live here maintain the sign, see this sign all the time. None of them know what a sundown town is in the midst of living in an area where there's a surprisingly scarce number of Negroes. It continues, uh, and they do quote James Lowen, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the term sundown town is not known to everybody. Okay. Uh, Mayor Papa said the sign in the community were taken down a couple of months ago. He said it appeared to be a name of a neighborhood watch community which was popular in the 1980s he said he doesn't know of any active neighborhood watch communities George Zimmerman Uh, I did not know but I'll post the article so folks can uh, check it out in fact uh, let's see the I'll nab some of our callers folks who who dialed in with a hand up let's see our caller in New Jersey victim of racism in New Jersey if you have a question for Anna Blotto uh, you should be with us sir Hey, how you doing? Um, to the guests, um, my, my question, um, the host and um, other callers often talked about, um, well, they were suggesting after Buffalo that there should be a hate crime bill. And um, just to say we were suspicious of this, if you don't say that this is a black hate crime bill, in the end, it'll end up being black people that will be charged with a hate crime. Um, so there's a pattern that's going on and I just want your opinion on this. So after the Buffalo shooting, after the Texas shooting, they have begun to classify any shooting. And it seems like these are shootings that's happened in the urban area as mass shootings in Philadelphia this past weekend. I guess that was an altercation between a group of people or individuals who, um, had a had an altercation where shots rang out and bystanders was hit. They're classifying this as a mass shooting. Um, Sacramento, there's another incident where one or more people were shot. Black neighborhood. They're also classifying this as a mass shooting. Um, like, what do you what do you make of this? That the media is now trying to uh, basically classify any shooting after Buffalo and Texas that's one of more people 
as a mass shooting. What, what do you what do you make of this, or have you even followed or paid attention to that new pattern that's going on in the news media? Yeah, I, I have. Uh, that's one thing that I've kind of been paying close attention to because it feels like when the Buffalo shooting happened, it was the biggest quote unquote mass shooting right of the of the calendar year so far. And even though I'm pretty aware of news, I really don't remember seeing uh, that those that level of reporting in the news constantly. And so, of course, they were happening, but they were they were more localized or more hidden, et cetera. Ever since May 14th and Odave, uh, it seems like every single day there's a, a new reported mass shooting. Like you said, anytime more than one person is killed. So I think that it plays into the larger conversation about gun control, which is important, but also not what the Buffalo shooting was completely about. And that, that is kind of a, a, a difficult transition because, you know, a lot of, I've seen a lot of folks online recently on, on social, take to social media to comment on the comparison between the reaction to the Buffalo shooting versus the reaction to some of the other shootings. So the other shootings that have happened after this, the other mass shootings and I guess semi mass shootings that have happened after this have furthered a nationwide call for, for either gun control or on the other side, arming everyday people and there was this one really interesting, this may be tangential, but this is one very interesting comment that I read where there, right after the Buffalo mass shooting, it was uh, a lot of thoughts and prayers and for the, for the black community and, oh, this is terrible. This shouldn't have happened. This is a, you know, an idea of how segregated Buffalo is and the person's not from here. But there wasn't this response of let's arm the people in this community, let's arm supermarket employees, let's arm members of the black community in Buffalo to prevent against something like this from happening. But now it's part of the conversation as it, as it evolves and it's happening in other, other areas. So it's just a lot of interesting takes to loop back to what you were saying about the hate crime bill. Uh, I, I haven't read specifically, not the hate crime bill, but the hate crime charge. I haven't read specifically about, the uses of that charge, but yes, I do think that it needs to be very, very well defined. So it is not able to be used and the importance of that, that charge existing being diminished by its widespread use in situations that it may not align with. It was created for a very specific reason. So its uses need to be aligned with that reason. Um, I hope that answers your question and thoughts. Right. Okay. I, I uh, you know, somewhat. Um, okay. And, and I just have a question too. Stating this, this is a follow up to the question I just asked. Um, do you think the media 
is basically practicing deception and also racism, white supremacy, by confusing what we defined as a mass shooting, you know, when you just classify, let's just say, uh, urban violence and, you know, bystanders that, you know, get injured in the middle of, like, you know, urban violence or any kind of urban conflict as a mass shooting? Do you think that they're trying to change the face of what a mass shooter is by just basically, um, 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 you know, every shooting that's involving one or more people and so happen these mm. are shootings that's happened in black areas. So are they trying to find the, they're trying to change the narrative or change the face of who a mass shooter is and who is the cool. Who oh, like that, that's, that's a really interesting thought. Thanks so much for bringing that up. I think I didn't, I think I originally had missed the connection that, that you were, you were trying to get me to see. And I, I, I do see what you're saying now. Um, to an extent, it is absolutely possible. And I think, I think we'll have to, um, review that as, as over the course, I would say of the next couple of weeks, because in historically, you know, in regard to mass shootings, most, most mass shootings that were, that have happened in the United States have been committed by white men. And the shift in the change of narrative would bolster white folks's of, uh, I, I guess, opinion or, or uh, a white, a white supremacist ideology around saying, well, look, it's, it's, it's 50% now black folks based on this past year. And it would be really easy to say it, it's, you know, it's a retaliation from what happened in Buffalo. And that might be a little bit extreme. That might be a, 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 a kind of an extrapolation of the existing of the existing context, I, I would, I will say that I would be interested to see what that narrative looks like over the next couple of months. Okay. Thanks a lot for answering my question. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you. Have a good night. Hmm. Trying my best. We'll see. Much obliged uh, victim in New Jersey. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a question for Anna Blotto, the number seven, two, zero, seven, one, six, Seven three hundred. The code five six four nine four three pound. Press star six one if you would like to participate. Uh, our Bay Area mom. Uh, if you have commentary to share, go Golden State Warriors. Go Woo. Bay Area mom. You should be with us. Thank you for taking my call. Greetings to you and everyone on the line. Uh, I. I- my question is, when I look back to uh, um, Christopher Joseph, um, the 1980, uh, 81, um, who was a 22 caliber shooter, and he was a, a stabber as well, he stated um, um, that he, he, he hated, well, a lot of, from the investigation, they were stating that he it was black people fault that his uh, guns, um, his father's uh, guns got taken from him. And um, he also stated that he 
had to kill niggers. He hated niggers when he was in the um, military, uh, when he stabbed that black guy, um, when he was in the service and had to go to the, the military jail. What, just from you, because you're, you classify yourself as white, what is a white supremacist? I think the conventional definition of white supremacist doesn't align with the everyday benefits of white supremacy for, for, for your, I would say average white person. And so I guess when you think of the conventional definition of white supremacy, you think of the KKK, you think of somebody who is burning crosses and you think of somebody who is um, uh, calling people the N word and uh, actively working to, make people feel uh, directly discriminated against. And the larger definition, and I don't know, I guess, if you would classify that as a different level of white supremacy or if you would classify that as something else, white extremism, but is it extremism if, if it becomes commonplace over time? So that's a little bit tough to say, but uh, the white, suprem- white supremacy is how white people benefit within our society. I know I use the word privilege and I know that Gus feels kind of strongly against, against that word. I guess it's, it's more common in, in literature that I've read. So I, you know, it, it, that's what it comes up for me. White, white privilege is white supremacy. Um, and the overall, I guess, white supremacy, the, the way that av- uh, the average person would view white supremacy is that direct action, white on black violence that, that you might see. So I, I would define white supremacy as the structure that white people benefit from, that I as a white person benefit from. It has varying layers and levels in, in, in my experience and in, in my research. Um, okay. Okay. So white, so, so you define white supremacy as uh, white power, privilege? I would define, yes, white, I would define white supremacy as the system in which white folks, all white folks benefit from being white. And the, and the way that that plays out in their interactions uh-huh. with people of color. Oh, okay. Okay, interesting, interesting. So who, who, so who would be able, because when I look at uh, the news clippings um, from 80, 81, articles written about um, the Christopher Joseph guy, uh, something stated that he wouldn't have even gotten caught if he would have just not said so much, if he would have just mm. kept quiet. So do you think... Um, just because you're white, um, do you think that as a part of white culture, terrorizing and brutalizing people that they classify as not white is, is, is something that, um, white supremacists, which could be anybody because all you have to do basically classify is be white, just listening to you and benefit from the power privileges that you get. Do do you think that that's a part of a white supremacist culture, just 
just the creepy stuff that uh, he did that was so disgusting. So I I don't want to underplay what what white so underplay I guess or overplay what 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 white supremacy is. I would say that the culture accepts and supports more than it should the pushing under the rug of that kind of behavior. Um, and I, I would compare it, I guess, to uh, police culture. A lot of times how police officers will look the other way when officers commit certain actions or don't report certain things. They look the other way as a, as a means of protection because they are the folks in power. I would define that similarly you know, they always say one bad apple, you know, Gus mentioned he doesn't really, you know, metaphors and words, they they kind of, you know, can create confusion. One bad apple does spoil the whole bunch. And that is true in policing. And I think that a similar thought process, a similar metaphorical process can be applied to white folks, because if you know, one bad apple can spoil the whole bunch, if you're complicit in your actions and in your words, you are participating in within the, the white supremacy structure. So would every, I guess the, the, the thing that I would say is would every white person not say something? Probably, probably not. There, there would, I, I'm sure that there would be people who, if, if, if I knew or if somebody knew that they would say something, but does that mean that something that there would be action that would be taken against it? What does that mean for the long-term repercussions? What does that mean for the ongoing conversation? I, I'm not sure if that, that answers the question. No, it doesn't. It just confused me more, but last question. Um, who do you think is more confused about racism, white supremacy, white people or people that are classified as non-white? And I'll oh, meet my people. line. Thank you. Oh, 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 you said who? I said white, white people. people. Can you tell me, can you tell me how, can you tell me how, how, how are, are, are white people more confused than the victims? I'll meet my line while you uh, say it. Okay. Sounds good. I, I would say that, I'm I'm going to I'm going to pull back. I'm going to I'm going to do a a a two-pronged answer to this. I want to learn more about how my words and my actions minimize the black experience by not being as direct and as forthcoming as I should be. I also have to be respectful of my position as a researcher. And I have to be careful. I have to, I do have to be careful about my words because of the way that society exists as we know it. Right. I, I have to be a little bit more thoughtful about, about everything that I say um, and about, about how, how I speak. But I, I also want to be cognizant of, of the, the black experience and the experience of people of color. So in that aspect, I think it is, uh, 
a little bit confusing for for me, but I guess as from and I can't speak on the perspective of people of color, but I think that the the based on the conversation I've had tonight, based on the the comments that have been made tonight, I would say that black folks and people of color have have a lot to be confused about because it it I can see I can sense that it's confusing that I wouldn't say certain things I wouldn't be more direct about certain things. And part of that is because I'm a little bit confused. I think about the, the idea between white supremacy and what white supremacy is and isn't and how it plays into all of the, the entire conversation that we've had today. But then of course the confusion on the other end about why white folks, why I am not being as clear as maybe I should be answering some of these questions. So I appreciate, I appreciate the question. I appreciate this conversation as a, as a, as a learning opportunity. So thank you so much for calling in. You're just saying just buckets and buckets of words. Justice, former co-host on the cows, much obliged to our Bay area mom. There's a whole lot I could say right there, but man, I always make note when I say something about metaphors and then people as they are using metaphors call attention to that at minimum an improvement. Whew. Lots I could say, but I will pause our caller uh, 2262 2262. Did you have a question for Anna Blotto? You should be with us. Caller at 2262. Did you have commentary? 2262. May I be heard? There you go. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, Gus. Thank you, sir, for taking my call. Uh, um, greetings to everyone on the line. Um, uh, Ms. Blyle, uh, uh, thank you for coming on to share a little of your time with us. Um, I was reading your uh, partnership with Public Good, and in your, I guess, bio, it said that your area of interest is justice. Is that correct? I would say so, yes. Um, what is your definition of justice? I think justice is, is about a voice for everyone. I think justice is about breaking down systems that restrict and confine folks. I think justice is about everybody living in a way that is comfortable for them and not having any limitations or restrictions based on their race, their gender, their background, their sexual orientation, et cetera. So I, I, that's, that's how I view, I view justice as, as it's, not, it's not equality, it's equity. And in a substantial long-term way. Okay. Uh, thank you for your response. Um, my next question will be, um, would you uh, equate racism, white supremacy to a crime? I would equate, as, as a white person, uh, once again, of course, I would equate aspects of it to a crime. 
And it's really hard to measure implicit acts of white supremacy individually. When you add them all together, it results in a lot of what we see on a day-to-day basis. Segregation, outcome, uh, you know, certain levels of outcomes, lower outcomes for black folks in certain areas, et cetera. So when, when you say crime, do you mean to say that there should be repercussions for those crimes? I guess to, to ask a question back to you. Well, if we're using logic, yeah. Okay. I I believe in in, in reparations. I don't know how, what your your Gus's thoughts and feelings are about that. And I, I, am I going to say that uh, every white person belongs in jail? No, I I I wouldn't say that. No, but. I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done to more adequately address implicit, well, even just explicit, because we, we know that there are explicit acts of racism that, that go unaddressed and unpunished. I think that it's important to first and foremost address that, but to then come up with a better way to measure and challenge implicit acts of white supremacy. Okay. Uh, Thanks for that. Um, My next question will be, uh, you're familiar with um, what happened in Nazi Germany during World War II with the um, internment camps and the Holocaust. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. In Nazi Germany, was that a example of white supremacy? If if you I guess if you don't consider uh, yes, yes, I, I I would say that in that in the context of Nazi Germany, yes. Because it was an, an overall action that took place against what would be considered a minority. An idea that even though, even though the skin color was the same, that certain people of that skin color were, were ultimately better than other people of that skin color. You, you really had to, there was, there was a huge, a huge, huge, area or act of influence that, that Hitler had over, over Germany at the time that swayed folks' opinion and opinions. And, and does that mean that, that white Jewish folks don't participate in white supremacy in the United States or in, in contexts, in other contexts? No, it, it doesn't mean that, but it, it is, in, in my opinion, a form of white supremacy. 
Thank you. Um, my final question would be, um, you said earlier that, oh, you used the term white um, privilege a few times. Um, what do you think would happen to white people if they did not have a system of racism, white supremacy to support them? You know, I, it's hard to say. I would like to think, I mean, in order, I guess it would depend on whether you're going back in history and saying that none of this ever happened and then what would happen then, or if you're saying that tomorrow white privilege is no longer exists, but we have the historical context as though it did. Contemporary, okay. I think it would be a, a wake-up call, and it, it would be it would it would be a, a large wake-up call for a lot of white folks. I think there are a lot of white folks that are. I would even go as far to say a majority of white folks that are in denial about its existence in in modern times, that are in denial that certain elements of their views and beliefs and actions are a result of white supremacist ideology and racism. And if that system disappeared overnight, I think there would be a lot of people begging for forgiveness that I don't think they, they would necessarily receive. Um, real quick, um, I did have one real last question. Um, do you think white people will get violent if they didn't have the system of racism supporting them? I think there's a possibility, and I, I think a little bit back to, to the history of riots and primar- the, prim- like the reaction primarily of white folks to riots and, and saying, oh, well, the property is being destroyed. There's no reason to destroy property. Go protest, but protest peacefully. And, and the reality is that property being destroyed is, is, is the, the least. I guess of the of the destruction of of black lives by the system of black or of, of white supremacy. So, yes, I think that if the tables were turned, absolutely you would see a, a response in violence. I don't know if it would be a violence in direct action toward people of color. I do think, though, you would see the level of response to injustice and inequality that you see when you see the, in response to the killing of black folks by police, for example, in, you know, summer 2020, I I think there, there's a, there's a strong likelihood that there would be that, that at the very minimum, that level of response. Thank you for your response. Um, That'll be it for me. Uh, Thank you so much, Gus, for taking my call and I'll keep my line context of white supremacy much obliged sir uh non-clemson grad and or miss c did you have a question for anna blotto uh yes i do uh, hello miss blotto um i heard what you said earlier about you don't believe all white people should go to jail that's perfectly that's perfectly fine um, what crimes do you know of that white people are committing right now are deserving of jail? And then uh, what crimes that are harming people, um, non-white people, should at the very least be punished, if not with jail, maybe with, for example, loss of job, 
loss of income, fines, penalties, you know, things that you believe will help to dissuade, mitigate, and eliminate white supremacy or white people from practicing white supremacy? That, I, I, that's it. I, I really like that question because that's something I think about a lot. And it's the active everyday actions of institutions and, and private entities that uh, that contribute to ongoing ongoing white supremacy, ongoing inequality. So the biggest thing that I can think of, and I'm sure that there's a longer comprehensive list, but the biggest thing that I can think of is looking at businesses, financial institutions, housing and other developers that are actively hurting black communities by their investment or lack thereof, by their outreach or lack thereof. That's, that's where I would start. And that's, and, and, you know, of course that's my opinion. That's where I would start. And those are the things that, that propel the systems that we see today that propel lack of access that, that persist. We we look at what happened in Buffalo and, and the area in Buffalo where this happened, of course, is highly segregated, but also is largely food insecure. And you look at or who is responsible for that? Is it is it the gov- is it government entities for not swaying development in that area? Is it private business for not building there? And the the biggest indicator for me are research studies that look at the uh, certain things like uh, utility affordability, for example, or access to fresh and healthy foods, and they control for things like poverty. And they determine that even when controlling for, for fa- other factors that could be really big influences in this, even when controlling for those, that race is still a factor that influences the locations of businesses or investment by financial institutions or whether you can't afford your util- utilities. That's where I think that, that area where that the enforceability needs to be directed at least initially. Um, I hear what you're saying about being directed, but my question was along the lines of punishment, not what industries to look at. Um, I get the, I, I do understand the idea that there are certain industries that engage in the behaviors and the practices. So for example, I believe two years ago or so, um, there's a report that talked about the real estate industry, how, you know, real estate agents are constantly guiding white people to white neighborhoods and um, guiding black people to black neighborhoods and, and vice versa and all those kind of things. My question was along the lines of specific punishments. So it's easy to say that someone like Mr. Peyton Gendron should go to jail for the rest of his life. But um, as, tra- as traumatic and terroristic as Mr. Gendron is, he's an outlier for all intents and purposes. The vast majority of white supremacy that black people deal with nowadays are just the simple everyday racism of simply going into work, trying to find a job, going into a bank, and then all of a sudden finding out, um, you know, um, that you're being arrested because someone believes that you should not be there. So to me, my question again to you is what should be the punishment? So, for example, in the examples I gave, if you find out that a, an employer or a job or, or, I'm sorry, an employer or a person at a, at a, um, that's, that's a hiring manager does something, 
Should they lose their job? Should they lose their income? Should they, uh, should they lose their freedom? If someone calls the police on black people for no good reason other than um, you just like calling the police, what should happen to that person? That's what I'm asking. Okay. All right. So, you know, I, I'm not an expert, I guess, in the legal system, so I don't want to necessarily say, oh, I, I think that there's certain punitive punishments. I also have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the legal system as it stands right now. And so it's tough to say. I mean, I definitely think that there should be some sort of punitive punishment, whether it's a fine. But, of course, fines don't have necessarily the same impact on one person versus another person. I think about a lot of times in the United States right now how people, you know, large businesses can commit crimes because they have the money to pay the fines. And so sometimes fines are not the most effective mechanism for, for dissuading people from committing certain acts in the future. And I think that if you start, it, it, it becomes very hairy. The, the minute that you start saying certain things should be, certain crimes should be, certain things should be labeled as certain crimes, the, this divide that you see in the United States it it gets it gets so much starker. So I, I there's a lot of thoughts going through my head right now. Um, okay. I, um, maybe my, my maybe my question is a bit confusing. Black people go to jail for things that they do. They even go to jail for things they do not do. What I'm asking you is that if you had the ability, the authority to do something, what would the actions or consequences that you would institute? that would either disincentivize or persuade white people not to engage in white supremacy. That's what I'm asking. I don't necessarily need you to be an expert on criminal justice. Uh, most people aren't. But I believe most people understand the idea of consequences for engaging behaviors that negatively affect other people. I don't need to understand the law to understand that when I um, assault someone that I might be arrested and go to jail. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Um, by trade, but I understand if I kill someone, I have a very good chance of going to jail. If I rob someone, I am not a legal expert, but um, I'm pretty sure that I'm probably going to jail. So at the very least, even without being, without being a legal expert, um, can we assume that as a, a, um, a person who's been in this world as long as you, um, as an adult, you understand that there's ways to incentivize people, including white supremacists, from engaging in negative, harmful dangerous, um, fatal behaviors. So direct action, I'm, I'm an individual and, and, uh, you know, I, I have to be very honest with you. You know, my, my role is, is as a researcher and I, I, I appreciate these really, really these thought provoking questions These absolutely thought provoking questions. And my my a hundred percent my opinion on the criminal justice system in the United States right now and and uh, you know aligning with the data that that I've researched and that my PPG partnership the public good has done research on is that the entire legal justice system needs to be overhauled and I do I, I agree with the 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 actual the fact that black folks go to jail for things that they crimes that they have not committed crimes that they may have committed, but that, that white folks may not have gone to jail for committing the same crimes. The system itself needs to be overhauled. So I, I don't necessarily endorse any kind of uh, jail consequence for, for anything that is, uh, that is marginal in, in, in the grand scheme of things. If we kill somebody, absolutely, that, that, that is a, a, you know, a jail-related consequence or a restorative opportunity. But 
I think white folks, white folks need to take a hard look in the mirror. Yeah. If you are, if your role as an employer directly resulted in a black person not getting hired because of your prejudice, you, yeah, you should be fired from your job. You should be forced to find different income. Anybody who is in a workplace is directly responsible for discriminating or, or having a, a consequence, making somebody feel uh, uncomfortable or, or, or discriminate against because of their, because they're black. Yeah. They, they should be, they, they should have financial consequences. It would be a step further to say that they, they should have punitive consequences. And so punitive consequence in general, unless it's for specific crimes, I don't, I don't agree with as part of the a kind of a restorative criminal justice effort, but yeah, there should be consequences for white people as, as an individual. I do not know what I, actions I would take tomorrow. If this were to happen, I have to be honest with you about that. I don't know. Um, do I agree with your sentiment that there should be actions? Yes, I think it's part of a larger conversation. Gotcha. Thank you very much for your response. I, in my opinion, it took you kind of a while to come around to that conclusion. Um, it's okay that you don't understand the criminal justice system. I think most people would say they don't understand it very well either, but I think at the very least, um, like you just said, if someone engages in a very, very problematic behavior, at the very least, you can penalize them, whether it be financially or by um, loss of liberty. And with that, I'll leave my line. Much obliged, uh, non-Clemson grad. Uh, we had one other person who dialed in. Uh, before I get our other caller, I just, I mean, the metaphors abounded uh, in about the last 10 to 15 minutes. One, when non-Clemson grad asked his question about, you know, what should happen? Should there be some consequences uh, for individuals classified as white who practice racism? Uh, and Anna Blato, she said, it becomes very hairy. There were a number of metaphors, but that one, I know kinky is in the word guide for a number of reasons, but that especially when they got to have a crown act because some people have problems with their hair getting jobs metaphors always very and there were tons of them and one other point Anna Blada when she was talking about words and she said she had to be careful because she's a researcher Gus T. Renegade is a researcher as well maybe better than Anna Blatto. I have 200 articles on Joseph G. Christopher. I was informed about him from day one. And go back what I said before. Affirmative action has helped white women more than anyone. That's not Gusty Renegade. That's what I said. Time Magazine 2013 June. They gave it explicit the U.S. Supreme Court is expected to rule in potentially landmark case on the constitutionality of affirmative action the original lawsuit was filed on behalf of Abigail Fisher a white woman who claims that she was denied admission to the University of Texas because she is white but study after study shows that affirmative action helps white women as much 
or even more than it helps men and women of color. Ironically, Fisher, Anna Blotto, Hillary Clinton is exactly the kind of person affirmative action helps the most in America today. You could add 2022. I am a researcher and I would say as a researcher being accurate with words is the key. You don't want to just be sloppy when it comes time to research information. So hey, I'm all about researching. I do that every day. That's how I found your research. But you got to be accurate with terms. And I mean, wow, I never, ever research with metaphors, hairiness. No, I mean, I wrote down so many of them. My goodness, all of that. When it's time to talk about racism, white supremacy, that is not the time for metaphors and metaphors. That is the time for specific detail. That is another one that's right up there. Oh, and particularly a white woman mentioning affirmative action to talk about black people deliberate act of white supremacy what I said before a white person using a lot of metaphors when non-white people come and ask specific questions about racism white supremacy or anything else when they do a lot of pussyfooting and metaphor giving deliberate racism white supremacy metaphors and analogies those are the tool of master deceivers Retired firefighter in Florida. Did you have a question for Anna Blotto? You should be with us. Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, everybody. Greetings to the guests. Uh, my, I first have to ask the guest uh, if she can render us her accurate age or approximate age for me to ask the question that I have. I'm 25 years old. Hmm. Okay. And you said that you uh, 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 spent your life in Buffalo, New York, correct? That's that's correct. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, attempt to ask you this question anyway. Uh, Do you think that Arenthal James Simpson murdered his ex-wife, the mother of two of his children, and a white male that was in her company at the time of death. I I am a hundred percent unfamiliar with with the O.J. Simpson trial. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. My that is outside of my. I'm familiar with the historical context of it. I am not really familiar with the trial, so I w- I'm unable to to answer that question in a, in a in an accurate way. Okay. Uh, my next question uh, is: uh, Do you think the global system of racist white supremacy will be neutralized? I would like to think so, but if history is any indicator, I'm not. I'm not so sure. That's that's the system that I, I want to see. That's the future that I personally would like to see. But I, it, it's going to take 
complete overhaul of every single system that we know in this country and, and globally to, to do that. And th- th- those, those little steps, they get us somewhere. They get us closer to the place that we want to be. But, but if an overhaul doesn't happen, bits and pieces will remain. And there's, there's no doubt about that, in my, in my opinion. Okay. That's it. You satisfied? Retired firefighter? Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, we will about let you get out of here. I just had a couple quick ones before we uh, let you go. Miss Blatto, thank you for being patient with us uh, this evening and our callers as well. I'm sure they're uh, appreciative as well. Um, before we let you enjoy the rest of your evening, uh, one, as a white woman, uh, can you think of a time ever in your 25 years on the planet where you practiced white supremacy racism or I guess this is an and or can you think of a time other than tonight where uh, a non-white person accused you or suspected you were practicing white supremacy racism? I think that uh, tonight has been a really interesting conversation uh, and I don't think I've ever been directly accused of that, but I am absolutely sure. And, and of course, off the top of my head, I probably cannot think of a specific situation. I mean, I, I would look back probably to to high school and, and maybe my lack of understanding, lack of, of um, full acknowledgement of, of the racism and white supremacy structure that, that exists within our society. I probably was more, more likely to, to commit acts of white supremacy and racism at that time. I think that even right now, the level of, with, with the level of awareness that I, I believe that I have, I, of course, I, I still participate and contribute to that system. Um, all as a white person, I, I know that my, my job is to listen and to learn. So that is, that is what I'm here to attempt to do. And, uh, and even though as much as I could, I can try, uh, I do know that because the system exists, I, I still, you know, participate and benefit from it. Hmm. Who told you that that was your job as someone classified as white to listen and learn? I, that is, that is my, nobody told me that. And that's my, my thoughts. I, I don't, and then you can, you can share with me uh, if, if you feel differently or if you have a different opinion. But when I think of voices that have been diminished over time and uh, and who who I should be listening to to be more effective in my communication and be more effective in my advocacy and allyship. Listen and learn is really all that I can do. Listen and learn. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just more of that jargon and rhetoric. In my view, the most uh, important thing, uh, going way back to the beginning of the program, when I asked, hey, have you seen any evidence that a significant number of individuals classified as white are going to voluntarily and permanently desist from the practice of white supremacy racism? Like, if that's true, everybody should say that up front 
and then make sure all of our strategies and ideas are geared towards that, not correcting implicit bias, not addressing white people that are ignorant. And I've lived here and have passed this sundown town sign for 20 years, and I don't know what a sundown town is. Not addressing any of that. Addressing, hey, white people are not going to voluntarily desist from the practice of white supremacy racism that everything we do has to align with that Uh, in the same vein do you think of yourself as a beneficiary white woman of affirmative action I guess in the context that it's placed uh, sure Um, I uh, you know getting I think that your comments about white women benefiting from affirmative action is, is accurate because when you, when you see people who are, who have made their way up into like a higher levels at, at major companies and into the vice presidencies, et cetera, it's rare that you see people of color, women of color. It's, it's a lot of white women. And yeah, I mean, I would say so. I didn't think I didn't say in the context of this conversation, like in your time on the planet, like the jobs that you've gotten and being able to graduate from Buffalo and get your job and all of that. Do you like daily when you go out talking, when you mention affirmative action, like, hey, me, Anna Blato, people like me, our governor in New York, we are the representatives of affirmative action. Like, do you think of yourself in that manner? I think of my the fact that I the benefit that I get from the system of white supremacy and racism makes me not have to think about it, and and that's part of the problem. I don't walk out every day and think about that because it is an inherent everyday aspect of my life. So, to answer your question, I guess no. Like yes, I benefited from it. No, I don't think about it on a regular basis. And I think that that's a result of uh, the structure of racism and white supremacy that we we have here. Hmm. Well, as a researcher, you definitely because they they said specifically study after study. So as a researcher, this is one that you should not be just talking, I guess, implicitly or whatever it is like study after study says it should never be presented that affirmative action and black people it should be you you can just I and in fact all of the conversation about affirmative action and black people that's just white supremacy racism deliberately consciously subconsciously however folks want to package it up if we're not talking about me Anna Blotto our governor Hillary Clinton we are the beneficiaries of affirmative action. And in fact, individuals classified as white have written reports talking about how, wow, the fact that what much like how the majority of white women voters supported President Trump, so many white women against affirmative action. Like, wow, seems like their allegiance is with white supremacy, racism, the system above everything else. I've seen the same evidence myself. Uh, let's see. Anything else I want to make sure I got in before we uh, let you go with the metaphors? There's so many of those. Uh, have you heard any racist jokes? That is one thing that I've 
lots of racist jokes around the Joseph Christopher case. Have you heard any uh, racist jokes? Um, and in my life, and yeah, absolutely. Any that you recall that you could share with us? I will not share. <laughs> no. Any um, that you recall? I'm not, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there, there are some that I, I, I mean, it, there were, there was a point in time. I mean, in I would think back to middle school, high school, where where there was where it was very limited filter. Kids, kids said said what they want, and it's it's a different it's a different environment today. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I can I can think back and reflect that I I do I've heard and I recall that I've heard racist jokes. Yes. Is there one that you remember that you can share with us? No, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I'm not in a position where I feel comfortable doing that. How come? Because this is this is on a public record, regardless of whether or not I'm telling the joke to make a joke. There's a difference between repeating it to perpetuate, not to perpetuate, but to 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 inform, to share disgust as an educational perspective and opportunity and then sharing a joke that could be taken out of context as as something that is meaningful i i do not share racist jokes because there it is very very easy for it to be taken out of context Well, this is another one that is a year's running pattern. We've had guest after white guest after white guest, and sometimes they've said they can they have heard thousands, like literally thousands, because they've been much older than yourself. Uh, which also people should think about the fact that it doesn't matter which generation. Same thing, regardless of how many they've heard, they don't share. What I've said is that hey, free, what same thing I said at the beginning main way that white people practice racism white supremacy being deceptive with words all that pussyfooting even a lot of it that I talked about with our guest Anna Blotto tonight frequently my goodness racist jokes are really the only time that I can think of other than when it's no non-white people present which is frequently when the racist jokes are flying white people are honest in what they have to say about black people and the fact that you remember that this is important highlight here because she said she remembers this from white children which I've pointed out for years hey now how ignorant are we saying white people are about racism if racist child is swapping racist jokes they are already substantially more informed than the non-white people who don't know anything about Joseph G. Christopher. But much about, that would be another one. So that's many, many tonight. Uh, so let's see. All of the affirmative action commentary that we heard from Anna Blotto, the use of the terms white privilege and the many, many metaphors and what have you, all of that, and then not revealing constructive information about those racist jokes, all of that, uh, amongst other things, but at least those three I can point out right now, in my view, that is deliberate, willful white supremacy racism. And you see this consistently uh, from people who classify themselves as white.
non-white folks who are listening, but much obliged. We have been talking to uh, affirmative action beneficiary author uh, of the report full title, a city divided, a brief history of segregation authored in 2018 when she was a student at the university of Buffalo. Uh, Anna Blatto, white woman, suspected racist for sure, based on what we heard from this evening's broadcast. Much obliged for sharing some of your uh, Monday yes, evening sir. with us. I uh, hope it was worthy of your time and energy. We will keep an eye out on uh, future uh, reports and what have you and see if any of our discussion tonight uh, impacts your future uh, written and or other projects. Yes. Can, do you mind if I ask you a question? Let's hear it. Just a final question. Let's yeah. Um, I, and, and, and I, I, I as, as a white person, I, I want to learn. And, and so this is this has been a, a great experience for me from a learning perspective. When you reached out to me to invite me onto the show, what was your intention by having this conversation? What, what was it that you were looking for, to, for you to get out of the conversation, but also then for me to get out of the conversation? Oh, I didn't have any intention with regards to you. Uh, with regards to myself, I am ignorant about racism, white supremacy in all aspects. So by having you on the program, I learned about Buffalo. I read your report and learned quite a bit of it. And this even supplements we're doing our book club on uh, Joseph G. Christopher, Absolute Madness. This supplements. Now I know more information uh, about the history of Buffalo. Uh, so I got to learn about that. I, I get to learn about white people. That's one of the things that I encourage all the time. Study white people and especially study white people who say, hey, I write about racism. I research racism, white supremacy, and especially with an important event like this that happened in an area that you are an expert in studying and researching. Well, hey, she should be willing to talk about us and to be talk about us like super honestly given the context that was my thought process in having you on the program does that make logical sense and does that match up with what I said in the email you know um, I, I think when you reached out it, it didn't necessarily match up exactly with what the conversation looked like I'm, I'm still glad that I was able to participate in this conversation and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I genuinely. What's your recollection uh, you know, of the email? The opportunity. I guess, really quick. What's your recollection of what I asked in the email? My recollection is, and and this is this is just just when I came into this conversation, I think I was not just expecting something different. Um, we'd appreciate the chance to discuss your research and how it relates to this tragedy. Did we do that? That is, we did not. We did not. But that is okay because, uh, once again, you're a researcher. I'm a researcher. We research different things. I have to be honest in saying that I'm not an expert in everything. And I, I learned a lot from this conversation. I really did. Hmm. I did have other uh, questions, but, you know, no problem. I, yeah, at least I, from my perspective, at least from my perspective, we absolutely did. Now, if you even want one more, because I for sure did. And one of the main ones, hey, since we're saying that white people are not informed about white supremacy racism uh, and what all of this is and how it works. Um, one of the main ones, there are many, many reports. There are many, many reports 
in your written document about the history of white people uh, doing projects written uh, to study the impact of racism and how black people are being impacted uh, in Buffalo. You cite them there, the racial equity dividend, Buffalo's greatest opportunity. We got that one there. Uh, the other one, it was uh, the Erie County Citizens Organization. That was on page 14 of the report where they did it. This is in the 1970s. There are many, many examples uh, that you cite, like over generations. None of these reports reference Joseph G. Christopher, by the way. But there are many examples of white people during reports similar to yours or in much greater detail. Even sometimes black people uh, participate in some of these. It doesn't seem to be a problem of white people lack information about white supremacy racism. Your work seems to support that above and beyond anything else. That was a major one that I took away from this and how this relates to this shooting, why these things keep happening. Joseph G. Christopher, Peyton Gendron, white people, they are not exact question that I asked you. They're not going to voluntarily desist from all this. This is not a problem of lack of information. This is my definition, dedication to white supremacy racism. So that was a major one just right from your work. Is that inaccurate? Are there is there a long history of white people doing these reports? Erie County Citizens Organization. Uh, let's see. Mr. Henry Lewis Taylor Jr. Black in Buffalo. Isn't there a long history of white people having lots of documents and studies about oh, racism, I, white supremacy? Yeah. I'd actually I'd like to take a quick step. Dr. Taylor is a black researcher, so I just want to be respectful of his his ident- identification. Um, there is a, a aside from Dr. Taylor, who is an, uh, honestly an expert in in black Buffalo and I've learned a lot from his research. Um, yeah, there is a, a long history of white folks putting out research, and that is a huge question or, or I guess, conflict as, as for the research that I do. A lot of the research that I do, I wonder whether or not it's appropriate for me to be putting it out as a white researcher. So I do. I like to stay factual. Um, I like to stay as, I would say, as accurate as possible. I cite... I cite as much as possible and I may not paint a full picture, but that is not because I don't want to. Um, that is because there are certain restrictions and limitations to not telling the full story. But when I think about this report specifically, what this report's outline and intentions were, um, yes, the, the issue of, of, of white researchers, it can, it can be problematic and, it's it's part of a once again a larger conversation of of the engagement of of black researchers and uh, having black folks being able to to be in the forefront telling these these stories and and sharing this history. Uh, again, for non-white people, this what you just heard right there. This is one of the standard ways white people practice white supremacy racism. I didn't say anything about that now they'll do this on a regular basis non-clemson grad we had this happen a few weeks ago where frequently because we're confused white people give you some sort of nonsense ramble where they talk in a tangent things that have nothing 
to do with what you said and we will think that we're confused or maybe I didn't ask my question correctly I didn't say anything about that what I said was I even acknowledged hey some black people participated in writing these reports what I said was hey white people this is not a problem of they don't have information they are dedicated to white supremacy racism and all I can conclude people like you are super dangerous because black people are confused again we didn't know who Joseph G. Christopher was individuals like Anna Blotto they come and talk to us and we get confused and think wow if we just get a few more of her this problem will be solved wrong because as we agreed white people a substantial number and I would even say I have heard nothing that would convince me that even Anna Blotto is going to voluntarily desist from white supremacy racism she is doing exactly what I said white people do at the beginning use words deceptively you ask a question about A and they talk to you about Z Q R maybe go into some numbers I asked about A. Get back to that. Get back to that. Let me get back to Q and R. At any rate, much obliged. Thank you for your time. In my perspective, we covered exactly what I said in the email in terms of why do these type of shootings continue to happen? White people are dedicated to white supremacy, racism, and even what I asked, white culture. Go back and rewind, listeners, if you forgot that one. Anna Blotto, again, beneficiary of affirmative action, suspected racist, white supremacist. Let us go, Buffalo. Much obliged. We will take a quick break. I can process, get my thoughts together and what have you. And then uh, we'll go over uh, what we heard from Miss Blotto. Uh, context of white supremacy we will be right back let me see if i could get it correct like oh my goodness we got our audio segment from earlier let me see if i can do it correctly see if we can do it correctly and from the late 1960s after the death of martin luther king and the riots and the upheavals and all like this and black people with their fists in there and all like that and trying to stumble and fumble and find their way and get focus the white supremacists made a blueprint and put it in action and that is I'm going to have these people so confused, they don't even know what they started out to do. And by the late 1970s, they had just about completed it. And we've been on that ever since. And you mentioned something very important. They are more comfortable than ever. But see, it's like making gorillas comfortable in a cage, or monkeys, or pandas. You still got them in a cage, but they're comfortable. See, so give him some bling bling. It's like giving an animal a brand new car and training the animal to ride up and down the street in it. And then you stand back and point at the animal. Like one white man said in the late 1950s, he said he doesn't care what kind of car a Negro has. He said he's still a nigger. And when he rides by in a shiny car, 
to him, it's just a monkey in a car. White people built a car, put a monkey in it, trained the monkey to drive the car, so now you're looking at a monkey in a car. See, but black people don't see themselves that way. But this is how the white supremacists see us, and they are the ones who run our business. And we have to know that, that when they look at us, that's what they see. That that's what they see. That that's what they see. And at a subliminal level, what they see begins to spill over into our brains so that we, at a subliminal level, see each other that way and indirectly see ourselves that way. Context of white supremacy. Reading is exponentially more important than watching television, streaming, Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Amazon, stream, whatever else uh, that folks can think of, screen time. Do some reading. Book club, mandatory, mandatory. Man, I said today for like a variety of reasons, like, oh man, Gusty is going to be really sassy as it moves forward because now I talk about research like buddy every time we talk about Buffalo from now forward and really it should go like exponentially like oh man when you have some research because it'll be now I have read one book we are closing in on being like a quarter of a way through absolute madness in the book club interviewed Matt Greider done my own collection got my 200 articles seen some of the archive footage and done research on Buffalo we should have a white author on the program on Sunday that was one question I was going to ask Dr. Sean Lay see if I can get the full uh, book title up let's see boom boom found it talk about research man the gall the absolute gall oh my lord Sean Lay, Hooded Knights on the Niagara, the Ku Klux Klan in Buffalo, New York. And I even take myself down like for reals. We should be doing programs on Conklin, New York, like right now, like Sunday. Are you serious? Like, how does it even take three weeks like to find that we read James Lowen's where I think I did look I remember we talked about that like Conklin New York is I remember having that I think someone someone we may have even looked to see if that was mentioned in sundown towns and it wasn't there but I mean wow 90% white that is like mandatory find information Conklin New York and that whole area mandatory let's see if we can find information this cannot just be isolated to Buffalo uh, and picking on and beating up on metaphors uh, individuals in that area talking about white supremacy there Conklin New York sundown town like let's get on that immediately anywho uh, for Sunday hooded nights on the Niagara the Ku Klux Klan in Buffalo New York Dr. Sean Lay white man but I mean I knew like man not like being discourteous or anything like that but I mean like for reals like 10 black people were killed Buffalo Challenger I nagged them I told you I was a total heathen Leah Hamilton I 
harassed him and called and called. Catherine Massey is one of the victims. And I called and pestered repeatedly. And she did come through and send me the archives. What were they talking about when these black people were being putting hearts in the library in Buffalo? Now, that all of that. You're chalking this up to white people being ignorant. I said, Gus T is going to be sassy for many reasons. He got hammock time today at the beach. And that's both ways. I got hammock time in the beach. Beautiful for your spirit not to be in those polluted environments like she talked about in the report. We could have spent more time talking on that. But I mean, man, when individuals classified as white, you come in here and you want to give me some rhetoric about affirmative action and black people. Well, hey, no problem. We will pause right there. That was some of the deviation right there why we didn't get into more detail about her report man I wish a white person I wish a white person I beg a white person please get in the conversation to me and begin come out of your mouth and talk to me about affirmative action in black people I wish I wish I don't want to hear anything about that and and especially someone classified as a white woman there's nothing to say about affirmative action other than I am the poster child. Next is nothing about Nicholas benefited and white people. Are if anything, all of that is white supremacist rhetoric. And it's not even true because me. HRC notorious governor of New York. We are affirmative action. And I mean, it's 2022. Like if you reading is more informed than watching television pamela evans harris the late talked about that she had a whole section in black love is a revolutionary act now that is formerly one of the worst books i've ever read still it's formerly the worst book i ever read but still that bit of constructive information like I'm going to sit here and have a white person tell me that in 2022 like I don't read Time Magazine. I don't know anything about affirmative action. You can sit here and just lie to me. I either got to take that as you're just going to lie to me or you are ignorant too. Now I got to think I should, she did say I don't think about it. Whatever man. <laughs> you said you're a researcher. Which is it? If you've researched Time Magazine which is everywhere. You go to the dentist. You go to the grocery store. They said study after study. If you are that informed, just resign. I'm ignorant. I don't know anything about white supremacy racism. I'm going to give Gus T a stipend because he is killing it. Affirmative action. Joseph G. Christopher. All of that. Could have been at the beach chilling, but we got to be working on this problem because we will continue to have more Joseph G. Christophers and all that entails black people being mocked afterwards even the gall like man really it should be like wow you read my report and even pulled in the Joseph G. Christopher where they got the hearts at Bethlehem Steel like wow I am stunned I didn't even think I didn't even know about that we didn't this is what I can tell you frequently what white people do not have in mind is being questioned and having a nigra get sassy with them and say wait a minute what you just said does not make any sense at all that is what they are not expecting they are expecting the result of Peyton Gendron 
Joseph G. Christopher terrorism. We are really, we had all that about authority. We got agreement, system of white supremacy, racism, and we got to take all this time about don't white people have authority over non white people? Well, I don't want to say individually and all of this. Are you serious? Are you serious? That's what I mean. When we got to sit down, we can't even have all that pussyfooting is why we don't get in a more detailed conversation. Although, hey, great, because that that right there use of words. That's why I talk about metaphors all the time. We can Harriet. Oh, my God. It was a whole list. Like I could have taken a whole program just to pick out all of the metaphors. But that too, the individuals classified as white. They are not accustomed to non-white people even groping in the direction of being attentive and scientific with the use of words. Segregate. Oh, yeah. Segregation. Segregation. White privilege. White privilege. White privilege. Whoa, 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 whoa. None of that makes any sense. And we have to keep saying that. We just have to keep saying it over and over and over and over. None of that makes any sense sense again because if we're going to say segregation and then we're talking about Strom Thurmond same thing that I said back then correct use of terms this right here is a highlight program for metaphors my goodness it was white people have to take a hard look in the mirror what does that even mean shout to Michael Jackson so I look in the mirror, mirror on the wall with it. Who is the fairest? I mean, it was just boatloads of them. Let's see, look through the list here. Any other play? She used the word play, how things play out, still at play. Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, the grandsister, in addition to saying reading is more important than watching television, she consistently we are not talking about a gang. We're not talking about play. We're not talking about bias, discrimination, privilege, white allies. Even, man, I had a cringe moment way back in the early part. She was talking about non-white people not having a correct amount of suspicion. And she said, my black friend. It's the uh, green nausea emoji. That's Grady Lewis right there. I had him in the audio segment that I said I can't even take all the time to explain everything that's there. But that's Grady Lewis. Two hours hanging out with Peyton Gendron. Gave him my keys. Bay Area mom, go Warriors. She asked who's more confused. She couldn't even let her finish the question. We've had that one happen a few times this year, 2022. The white person was so eager. Oh, white people. Why? And I think she even made it here. She said, nah, white people. She said, oh, whoops, sorry, sorry, sorry. White people, white people. We're more confused. Yes, yes, yes. Again, that must be critical to have non-white. Oh, she walked me to one. She walked me to one. <laughs> Mandatory that I get it in today. Obviously, non-white people, we are worthy of great pity. What I said when we started today, those who don't learn from history we don't even remember Joseph G. Christopher 
all of that about non-white people being experts I'm going to my email and hey Gus T. Renegade is ignorant I didn't know anything about North Tonawana being a so-called sundown town this is like 2020 I didn't know anything about that that was news to Gus T. we had a listener who emailed me we had Daniel Livesey man today is white guests only this is exactly why it is white guests only we will never as far as I'm concerned have a non-white person on and sit there and go through the same thing where they use the same terms that are inaccurate and support white supremacy racism and try and pick that out black brother uh, maybe white privilege look here Coon you're not white guests only forever no exceptions Uh, let me see we had a listener who wrote I'll see if folks have commentary before we wrap up but we had a listener who emailed Gus T all of this is tied back to who is more informed about white supremacy racism we had a listener uh, who wrote me we had Daniel Livesey on the program mm, like two weeks ago after it was after the Buffalo shooting because we asked him about it uh, he didn't know about Joseph G. Christopher either we had him on the program. We talked about his book uh, about uh, white supremacy, racism in Jamaica. And the listener, he wrote in and he said that there is a lack of information on maroon uprisings in Jamaica. Uh, or matter of fact, there are not as many books on maroon history in Jamaica. That was what the person said. Okay. And reading more important than watching television all I did is take exactly what this person said that there's not very many books on maroon history in Jamaica all I did I'm doing exactly what I'm doing now so you'll get a sense of how long this took me to do this is not some esoteric knowledge I do have a history degree but this is not some esoteric knowledge and you know I went to the hinterlands and met with Master Yoda and other researchers anything uh, I went to the library catalog website and I typed in exactly what they said Maroon Jamaica bang now this person said they did not get very much information in the time that you heard me type not very quickly I got approximately 10 thousand results I'm going to give you just like a few of the titles Jamaica's Windward Maroon Slaveholders, True Born Maroons, the Jamaica Maroons how they came to Nova Scotia the Maroons of Jamaica 1655 to 1796 a history of resistance, collaboration and betrayal, that one looks pretty good right, Uh, let's see Drums of Defiance, oh that's audio Maroon Music from the Earliest Free Black Communities of Jamaica Wow. Hmm. Might have to go listen. Anyway, uh, any more? Jamaica's Windward Maroon Slaveholders, Almost Home, Maroon Between, Maroons Between Slavery and Freedom in Jamaica. Uh, <laughs> approximately 10,000. Now, I am rounding up, but I mean, if you want to be exact, because I'm a researcher, 9,728 results for Maroon Jamaica. That's all I did, and you heard how long it took. I concluded a long time ago 
Gus T. Renegade and all of the other individuals on the planet who are classified as not white we are as Mr. Fuller said worthy of great pity we are not even close to informed about white supremacy racism you want to take a wager on who wrote the majority of these approximately 10,000 hits for Maroons in Jamaica white guests only and you want to take a wager in terms of who has read the majority of these books and or audio film whatever other material they have white people are to blame for all of that hey they got a history of putting hearts in the library in Buffalo to terrorize black people in addition to sometimes they just say we'll kill you for reading or you're not at the library you're not allowed at the library we don't allow niggers in the library or whatever lots of different ways that they do it all of that said we reading is more important than watching television there is a reason why I said before like it can't just be the totality of our searching and research is what's on YouTube or Netflix because a lot of this material they probably don't have too much information and a lot of easy sources but hey you go to any library and I'd say especially you go to any college university library oh they will have a boatload of information you go to any college university library I would say that is mandatory if we are serious about solving this problem words are a critical component of that white people they literally I'm deliberately saying they kill us with the use of they come in here and oh it gets hairy and and you ask a question and oh they end up talking about all these other things that we can hey man just answer my question don't talk all that nonsense just answer my question and not using accurate terms to describe this problem all of that not being attentive to words doing more reading reading and writing would be greatly helpful in fact if we're really serious about that we should spend more time reading than watching television every day now how many people do that and or how many parents are training their children to think that way and behave that way for a lifetime at least until this problem is solved all of us if you're serious if we are serious about about being counter racist scientists mandatory not just go to the library find the closest university college library to where you reside you have subjects even if it's an hour away it just so happens that I live in Seattle and the University of Washington I could walk to it if I wanted to that's you know it's a 10 minute drive but I mean I could if worse came to worse and it was a snowstorm and you know whatever I guess it's June anyway I could walk to it theoretically if I did live someplace that was not as close to a library as I did when I lived in Virginia a university college library and even community college libraries I guarantee you you go to a community college library and do a search for many subjects maroons in Jamaica or whatever else even a lot of community college 
let me tell you from Gus T's life and times I make it a part of my counter racist code anytime I travel if I'm in a location long enough I go to the university college library in the area I've done this everywhere that I've ever traveled to where I had time when I lived in Atlanta I uh, went to Morehouse Library and uh, Georgia Tech's library. Atlanta has a lot of man. If you live in Atlanta, you should be well read on everything. They have so many major institutions right in Atlanta city limits. Walk. You could walk from Morehouse, Spelman, Morris Brown. You could walk from all three of those institutions to Georgia Tech. If they don't have what you need at the one library, bam, walk to the other one. And you could even pit stop. I forgot Georgia State is right in the middle of all that. You could pip, that's right in the middle of downtown, boom, and then curve out and hit your, or you could drive, do what the cool people do and get a scooter, bike, whatever, be green. Very short distance between all of that. That's how I got informed about the Atlanta child murders. I was looking for the book, The List by Chet Detlinger. It should not be lost on anyone. Our book club right now, Absolute Madness, the reason we're reading that, the reason that Gusty knew about Joseph G. Christopher at all, and I would have flunked that test. I'm ignorant. I just knew enough to dig more is because of the book, The List. Chet Detlinger. It was difficult to find. They didn't even have it in Atlanta. He said it's out of print got to Seattle I do the same thing I go to the library I went to the community college library first they had Yurugu read that one they had that at the uh, library at Morehouse in Atlanta as well but it wasn't time for me to read it then in addition to and even I read Yurugu at the University of Washington and the community college here because I read it in that environment those footnotes became way more valuable because anything that stood out, it was, wow, these white people are so well resourced, they probably have all of the books that are referenced in the reference section of this book. And they did. So I just went and read all the other books that interested me because they were right there. That's how I located our book for Sunday. It should have been plastered on television every day since all this happened. The Ku Klux Klan in Buffalo. Who even thinks of the Klan in Buffalo or Conklin? Everybody. Retired firefighter. He has those young, pro, uh, young people in the DCS program. Man, field trip. Like it's summertime too. Like that is a beautiful time because they have a lot of summer uh, programs for young people at a lot of the colleges and universities throughout the country during the summertime. And they have uh, library programs. I would see if you all can coordinate it logistically, if it's possible, we are going to go to the University of Miami's library. And I'm sure they probably got a bunch of libraries there. We'll go to one of the main ones. Maybe even see if we can get a tour. We'll use the library and then we'll do a project. See if everybody can look up like one subject. I don't care, you know, what it is. Uh, Miami Dolphins football, well, we'll find. We'll do some research on the history of the Miami Dolphins football team and where they played at and the different stadiums and how they got that land and what was there before that or whatever. But everybody, and Dr. Kanban talked about this, take your children. You have non-white offspring. That's a part of that program before conception. 
we're going to make it a regular event, not just to go to the local library, the university and college libraries to be researchers, exactly what she said, researchers, and have subject matters that we look up, whatever it is, Maroons in Jamaica or Joseph Christopher or whatever, eating healthy so that you don't have diabetes or all of the above, counter racism at the center but that is hugely important and hugely lacking in my opinion. Again, if now doctor, will we do all that quoting the grand sister and Dr. Welsing this and Dr. Welsing that, well then, Hey, if reading is more important than watching television, we should spend way more time reading than vegging out in front of a Netflix device. Anywho, uh, folks who are with us, if you have commentary, what you heard from uh, Anna Blotto, let's see, non-Clemson grad, victim in New Jersey, retired firefighter in Florida, uh, Bay Area mom, if you have any thoughts, observations, you would like to share what you heard? Yeah, Gus, um, something that she said uh, when uh, she said that... Uh, she believed in racism, but then alluded to should all white people be punished? And I'm not sure if, I, um, if I'm accurate with her words or, you know, that, that was real interesting to me, interesting to me, because, you know, um, when we're dealing with reparations, when reparations was given to other groups, it wasn't a, um, it wasn't a, collective punishment of white people it was basically a said government making monetary uh payments to um repay and repair wrongs that was done to a, a certain group so i even question whether she even believes that uh people who are classified as black uh in America, um, if she even supports the notion of reparations. Um, when I asked her a question, you know, instead of her just basically asking me to repeat the question, you know, I haven't really mastered the uh, English language, so, you know, I, I may have to uh, repeat a question so the guests could understand. But instead of her doing that, she just went on a rant that, you know, really had, uh, really had nothing to do with the actual question. So instead of like getting a grasp or understanding what, um, someone is asking you, you know, just to pause and just say, you know, can you repeat that, you know, so I can, um, correctly answer what you asked. No, no, no. You know, just start talking, just start ranting and, and really not even um, answering a question, you know, that was asked. So I wonder why do they do that? I mean, is it, you know, you know, is it is it to um, basically, um, uh, how can I say, you know, show-offism, you know, just to basically talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and just, you know, show victims how much you know. So, um, you know, that's something that I picked up. And just like in um, other white guests, if they're not 
being praised for their um, efforts of um, talking about or acknowledging racism, you know, they, they quite, they get offended, you know. So she's basically um, has kept on with the tradition of white guests who claim to be um, um, allies to uh, victims of uh, racism, white supremacy. Much obliged. Uh, just two two quick comments. One for the library component. Like I'm so serious about that. Like I truly believe that would be like major. Like that should maybe even be added to the stops. If that would be my contribution. I think Dr. Wilson got to add some stops about not throwing down trash. Like have research projects and go to the university and college libraries. You do not have to be a student to visit. Folks down at Clemson, non-Clemson grad, Miss C, take advantage. Clemson, I'm sure they have all kinds of extraordinary information wherever you live at. Like, I just checked the person who dialed it or wrote uh, about Maroons in Jamaica. Like, I am familiar with the University of Washington and their catalog systems. I just randomly picked uh, Northwestern. That's in Illinois. Uh, Evanston. Uh, So I went to their catalog, did the same thing. Maroons in Jamaica. I got 5,000. 552 results so not as much uh, as the University of Washington but I mean hey 5,000 is still quite a bit of you know information uh, to sift through at least to get you on a good start right and again University of Washington has it's a federal depository like they have all kinds of information lots they have a whole section on lynchings Uh, and with the confusion 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 Mr. Fuller says if you don't understand white supremacy racism what it is how it works everything else will confuse you and when individuals classified as white when they come in with all that jargon and you ask a question and they go off talking about this that as I said you ask about A they commit Q P, Z, beta, the number five. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. A, A. Let me get to the now. Let me get back to number seven. Letter N. C. <laughs> Many of us, because we do not pay attention to words, that works. And or you get frustrated. I, all kind confusion confusion this is done deliberately not answering our question especially with racism when they get to all that jargon and what have you a lot of times just oh that's right she's an ally and all the rest as I said hey she is not expecting a non-white person to closely evaluate what is she saying does this make sense and I'm so, she, she said she has black friends that's the sort of dynamic that she is able to establish with non-white people she's accustomed to getting them to not be suspicious of her to not think of her as a she said she had not had a time that she she would willing to tell us about non-white people accusing her of being a racist had heard those racist jokes oh my god that's so important white children racist child 
she remembers them. She's only 25, so her childhood is, you know, not some ancient time ago. She didn't want to share. That is so, that right there, in my opinion, that is white culture. That further explains why we keep having Joseph Christopher, Peyton Gendron. Anybody else commentary before we wrap up? May I say something? Bay Area mom. So with uh, the racist jokes, when you asked her, um, did she know any? She was, and then she, of course, she didn't um, want to share. And the reason why is she can't. Just like Dr. Wilson said, what do white people talk about when we're not around? And it's us. So with the whole commentary that we did with her it was all in defense because it goes back out like she said that it it goes back out this is being recorded and I can't be caught on recording telling you people what I know it's all collective so all that back and all those words and I'm on all that stuttering and all that She's talking like me. She she knows how to speak, but she didn't know what program she came on. Perhaps that's why she asked you what what was your intentions when you uh, uh, brought me on because she thought she was going to do that. Oh, educate me because I noticed a lot of uh, people that are white. They always need to be educated on how we're traumatized daily by them. Oh, how am I abusing you? Educate me on how I just abused you. They always do that. So um, she thought maybe um, you were going to educate her on some stuff and give her a lot of pat on the back. So just acknowledging our trauma with those words. So thank you. Um, I know we're going over. Thank you for uh, taking my call and thanks for the program. Much obliged, Bay Area Mom. Was anybody else commentary they wanted to get in? Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, I just want to second what um uh, the caller's been saying about the jokes. It was just, it, she gave a definitive uh, no. I'm not going to uh, talk about the jokes. I just thought that was just so wild. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that was it. Thank you. They could have been talking about Joseph Christopher. Who knows? <laughs> like, who knows what what these so-called jokes were? Like, man, the fact that apparently that is a big part of the racist code. We do not talk about what white people are saying when there's no non-white people around certainly not in any detail in the jokes oh mm. again it must be extremely critical the i mean it is a dangerous lie when you have non-white people thinking there's not a whole lot of content on maroons in jamaica Ten thousand hits even the low number at Northwestern is almost 6,000. We are not informed. And 
white people in a lot of ways like they don't let us in Northwestern I said that hey they could have just said all the black people in Evanston because they're doing the tacky reparations program with the bingo wheel we played that she said oh my god that's what reparations looks like bingo wheel the people said on zoom in Evanston they couldn't even figure out if they won or not for the lottery I said forget all that put the bingo wheel back in the in the closet man just let all the black people go to uh, Northwestern and long as they want, whatever degree they want to get, doctorate, 50 doctorates, whatever. You can go to Northwestern for life. That'll be part of our reparations program. They can researchers and you can learn all kinds of things. That's not what they did. But it's lots of ways that they keep us from being informed, keep us intimidated from even wanting to go to the library, particularly like university, college libraries. Even like I said, if it's a field trip, like, oh, man, just when you do go, when I lived in Virginia, anytime I would go to Virginia Tech, I would use their library. Even if it's once a month, once every six months or whatever it is, I would have my list. These are things that I'm going to research books because you can go on the catalog from anywhere as I just demonstrated you don't have to be a student or affiliated look at the catalog these are things that I'm going to look boom, 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 boom. once you get to the campus oh my goodness you can download reports but even now the technology is so advanced you can download whole books take your flash drive and get all the information that you want right there and then take it home and read it at your leisure uh, so yeah like wherever even community colleges check them out if one of those is close you can go do that and then any major institution that's in your area or what have you visit visit regularly if you're fortunate enough if you live somewhere where you know if Clemson is right there or you know University of Miami or University of Texas Austin or whatever take advantage uh, they have so much material and a lot of these places you don't have to be a student or faculty or what have you even to get a library card uh, the Virginia Tech they allowed everybody uh, you can get a library card same privilege that it would be at a normal library all you have to have is like a state issue uh, ID or what have you and you get a library card at least you could for a time maybe they've changed it but you get a library card check out material books whatever else it is uh, University of Virginia my alma mater same thing uh, you could be just a regular civilian non-student or what have you take in your you know identification get a library card you could check out material all the rest of it uh, University of Washington they had you could pay and get like a one year uh, library account even if you're not affiliated same thing check out material uh, and all that and even if you don't want to do that you can always just go to the library they have technology that is advanced so far now they have scanners even if they just have the book there they have like super quick scanners like they uh, it's almost like they just take a picture it's like a second bam 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 you as fast as I just did that you could take pick you could scan the whole book uh, I've done that with books you know that are 300 pages you could scan the entire book high quality resolution all the pictures references everything in like 30 minutes have it read at your leisure that means if you want to read it a year from now you got it bam right at your fingertips or as soon as you get home start reading it but that mandatory component of counter-racism white supremacy individuals like it the problem is not that white people are poorly informed about racism non-white people we are poorly informed about white supremacy racism and everything else that is constructive reading more important 
than watching television and visit those libraries, especially college, university libraries. We, it would just be super. Anybody has any doubts? White people are they more informed? Yes, way more informed about white supremacy, race. Who do you think is reading all of these books about maroon uprisings in Jamaica? Especially if the people who would like this information aren't even aware that these books material exists. Anywho, we will the book club mandatory since we don't remember this. Joseph G. Christopher. Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Looking forward to continuing to read uh, and learning more about the history of Buffalo. Hopefully this broadcast even today helpful in both regards, learning about the history of Buffalo and what it means to be white what white supremacy racism is the importance of words in fact the last thought I'll even give it to her report Anna Blatto what she said man she said in her conclusion Buffalo's intense segregation white supremacy racism is not an accident it resulted from decades of federal state and local policies many of which were explicitly racist White people are dedicated to that and they are not, are not ignorant about that. And as we agreed, I asked her, are they going to voluntarily desist from all that? Nope. No evidence of that at all. Everything that we should, that we say and how we approach this should reflect that truth. We'll be here on Thursday. Joseph G. Christopher. Much obliged for folks tuning in. Hope it was worthy of your Monday afternoon evening sobriety would be best under conditions of white supremacy you got Peyton Gendron's on the loose other race soldiers you do not want to be inebriated not able to process what's happening around you should you find yourself in a life threatening situation acutely so Uh, if you're out and about and somebody's being rowdy this is not a time for confrontations with strangers if you are in a vehicle you are buckled up sober and not on your mobile device we're doing the small things that we can to avoid contact with race soldiers badge or no and we need all of our attention to be mindful of what is happening around us all of that said creator we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately no name calling no reckless production of offspring mandatory if reading is more important than watching television more time spent reading than in front of that Netflix screen gotta go to the library especially the university college 
libraries have research projects counter racist research projects cow signing out thanks all for tuning in nigga you so brainwashed i'm a victim Your brother problem. You're a victim i'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning shut up the man has programmed my conditioning mm-hmm. even my conditioning has been conditioned <laughs>